Broadcasting 24 Broadcasting 24 Broadcasting 24 7. You know that is. Broadcasting 24 7. You know that is. 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. 366 if it's a leap year. TGFradio.com. We never stop. You are now tuned into Progressive Action Radio, the most objective show in America. Hosted by Tramail Thompson, co-hosted by Jamel Wilson, and DJ Damage is on the wheels of steel. You will never know what to expect when thoughts and wisdom unite. People, get ready. 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 Progressive Action is now live. Two one two, you already know what it is, man. It's Progression Action Radio right here on DTF Radio. Shout out to the host right now, Jamel and Jamel. You can catch us live right here every Thursday night, Friday morning, from 12 a.m. to 2 a.m. Today's guest in the building, TW Local, former president, Mr. Roger Tucson. Make sure to tune in right here at DTF Radio. You can watch us live on DTFradio.com or Ustream.com. Or listen live on your cell phones on that tune the radio app. Search DTF Radio. Follow me. Follow me. Make sure to follow me on my Instagram at DJ Damage NYC. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Yeah. Follow me. the day when my people can all relay we must stop fighting to achieve the peace that was taught in our country we shall all be free Ladies and gentlemen, this is a historic show tonight. I'm your host, Tramel Thompson. I got my co-host, Jamel, with me. I got Mr. Roger Toussaint in the building tonight. It's going to be straight business. We go get down to the nitty-gritty. We go get down to the facts. Y'all go learn something today. I'm just happy to be here. I'm happy to be a part of the movement. I know Jamel is happy to be a part of the movement. Definitely, no doubt. DJ Damage is definitely... Happy to be a part of the movement. How was your week? How was how was your week after I first showed Jamel? It was invigorated. It was something that it was uh, refreshing to see how many people gravitated towards the show. You know, because uh, it really exceeded my expectations. You know. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. What's amazing is that we got more plays than probably total people attending union meetings last year. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, no, no doubt, no doubt about that. You know, you know, it, it's a sad, it, it, it's funny but sad to say. You know, exactly. So you know, as like I said, with this platform, we want people to use us. I actually want to be used. I want people to come up here and 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 tell us what you know, tell us tell us what you think the people should know. And um, you know, this platform is something new, never seen before. 
with TWU. In fact, I don't know any unions that use anything like this or any anybody that's a part of any unions that use anything like this. So we want to be used. It's going to be guests almost every week. But today it's about Mr. Roger Toussaint. And we happy to have him here. So what we going to do, we going to go to a short break. We going to bring in a song, um, Damage. Damage is, you know, he's on the wheels of steel. This is my favorite DJ right now. And um, we just go get it moving like that. We go go to a short break, probably one song, and then Mr. Roger Toussaint will have the stage fully. If you have any questions, you could call 347-721-3161. You could email progressiveaction100 at gmail.com. Come with those questions. Whatever you want to ask him while he's here. He's here, the man of two hours, not the hour, two hours plus whatever it may be. So let's go to the short break and let's get it. DTF Radio, the online radio blueprint. Yeah, like I said once again, this is the Progressive Action Radio Show right here on DTF Radio. Catch us live each Thursday night, Friday morning right here on DTF Radio from 12 a.m. to 2 a.m. Also, call us up, man. The phone lines is open, 347-721-3161. You know what you're singing right now. We're doing it different up here. Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to introduce the former president of TWU Local 100. To me, he's he's a he's the fighter. He's educated. He's tough. He knows the rule book. He knows the people that's involved. He is an inspiration to me, Mr. Roger Toussaint. First, want to thank you guys for putting on this um, program and for the initiative that you all are displaying in doing this. Um, social media is critical for the upcoming generation of transit workers, and lots of our people are going to benefit from this effort. And we'll take example from what you guys are doing. So, congratulations and thanks for bringing me on this. No problem. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. it's, and it's really our pleasure to have you here. Yeah. You know. Definitely, you are, uh, you know, I, again, I have 16 years on the job, so you are definitely, the way you stood up to 
the powers that be and the way you fought for the members is definitely an inspiration and it's something I'll always remember, you know? Thank you. I'd like to ask you a question. How has life been after retirement? Well, I continue to speak at different engagements um, around the country, like tomorrow I'm on another radio program, um, and um, I'm doing some writing. But mostly I retired in to spend the last several years with my, with my son before he went off to college because I sacrificed quite a bit for him um, while I was running the union, so I needed to spend the last several years with him before he left home. Um, but retirement has been good. I'm healthier, I'm um, feeling better. So you basically so don't miss the place? <laughs> no, I mean, I'm, I, am, I'm, I will forever be a transit worker and be driven by cons profound concerns about what's going on in, in transit and in the labor movement, but um, I'm retired. All right. So, like I said before, you were the, the former president. What is the former pre what is the president um job as far as in TWU? What is his responsibilities? Well, the president's responsibility is to um negotiate contracts um and to hire the appropriate staff needed to carry out the various functions of the union and to direct the, the that staff. So you have you know, you have seven departments in the union um, with staff assigned to all of those um, departments. And then you have, um, when I left it, you had about 80-something people separate from that on, on company-paid release time working on the, um, in the depots, in the shops, and on the, on the road representing people at the step one and step two hearings and so forth. So it's a fairly con a sizable staff. Um, so the president's job is to, is to also um, chair the executive board meetings and implement the policy set by the executive board. That's technically what the, what the job is. But just by way of background so that you, that you have some sense of where I'm coming from, um, uh, before I became president of the union, I was the chairman of the track division for six years. Um, and before that, I had been an active, a rank-and-file activist for more than 10 years, leading struggles in, on, in the track department um, over safety, um, building up worker solidarity so that people stood, um, stood together against abuse, management abuse, and so forth. Um, and it was... Uh, during, during those years, I was not even a shop steward. In fact, um, my very first action that I was involved in when I, when I was hired was, in fact, to remove a shop steward who was too close to management. While I was on probation, we got together and we insisted that the shop steward be removed because the, he was too close to management, and that was, that, uh, that was commonplace throughout the union. Um, I'm talking in the early 80s. Um, and in fact, there's a lot of the explanation as to why a rank and file movement arose and eventually um, forced a change in the leadership of the union. Um, so, uh, and, and even before that, I will have a longer history of activism um, from before I, um, I came to this country in 1974. I'd been involved in the um, Black Power Rebellion in Trinidad from uh, at the age of 12 and 13. 
Um, so I have a long history of radical activity um, uh, before I became into before I came into transit. So that's my that's just by way of background. I became president um, in January of two thousand and one. The election was the previous month. And I served for three terms up until the end of 2009. Wow, that's great. So basically, you know, you come from a fighter background. You know, um, it's, uh, well, basically a, a radical background where you fought the powers that be, you fought oppression. Just, and you fall in line with uh, the other union presidents of Local 100 who, who have struck and have fought for, um, substantial gains for transit workers. You know, Michael Quill, he came to this country from Ireland. I'm sure you know the history of Michael sure. Quill. He came he came to this country, um, you know, with, with nothing. And, uh, you know, they made Irish people, you know, Irish people went to get these transit jobs or whatnot. So basically he started, it was the same way. He started a movement and basically he created this union, you know, during the heydays and the creation of unions, you know. And so basically that's what you fall in line with. The same thing with John Law. In 1980, he was another, you know, rebellious person, that uh, a, a radical person, who had radical beliefs, and fought oppression, and you know, basically that sort of sounds like you fall in fall in line with. So, but please, um, can you enlighten the audience a little bit more about um, the um, you know, tell us some more about the movement that led up to you becoming elected president right um well <clears throat> immediately before i was elected or actually um i had been fired from the transit authority for two and a half years i'm going for two and a half years without a paycheck they had they had they had put me up on trumped up charges and terminated me and refused to give me a hearing and that was because i was leading fights in the track department against management abuse um i was the chairman of the track division at the time uh, so this, uh, this uh, in fact, was fairly commonplace throughout um, many divisions in the 80s leading into the early 90s. Um, uh, management was out of control. Um, transit workers had a sense of powerlessness. Um, um, disciplines were in the thousands, literally up to 16,000 disciplinary actions annually. Um, and management was literally getting away with murder and abuse. At the same time, um, the job was changing because they were move, bringing in new equipment and the capital programs had begun in the early 80s. And they wanted to, to, they wanted to, f to compel changes in the union contract and in the terms and conditions of employment. So they, um, they used a lot of bully tactics um, to force these changes through. So by the by the early um by the early nineties um I would say that um there was um there was a universal disgust among transit workers with the way people were being treated by management. People were ready to for change. Um but that change did not come about until the very end of the nineties. Um New Directions, which was founded um in nineteen eighty four. Um, 85, and which I hooked up with much later on, um, they made a contribution to in terms of putting out leaflets and flyers and ex exposes and so on. But there were num a number of other circles of 
of activists in different departments um, who were either associated with new directions or were doing their own organizing against transit. And all of that came together by the late 1990s um, and the push for to, to change the union. Um, so that is just in broad strokes um, how things unfolded. Um, there was a, it was literally a rank and file upsurge by the time the 90s ended. Um, there were a lot of major events that occurred prior to that. Um, the union was negotiating contracts that, um, that victimized some titles um, and that um, sold out others. So for instance, when I took over, um, there was still in place a $4 an hour um, training wage. Um, so for the entry level people, you would while you're training, you would get $4 an hour, which we call Burger King wages. <laughs> um, and the union had, had, had done that and lit literally had sacrificed the, 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 less, the, 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 the least powerful titles um, subjecting people to a ridiculous $4 an hour. Traffic checkers, who are part of Map Store Division 1, um, they, they were about 400 and change. Now they're close, I think, to 600 or so. And they were 60% um, female, 75 80% African-American and, um, and Hispanic. They were working without health benefits, without pensions, without any assured hours of work. The contract literally said that they, when they come to work, it's up to management to give them zero to 25 hours. So you can send you back home and tell you, we have no work for you today, we have no work for you this week, come back next week. And these, poor, these people were literally camping out on Wednesday nights down at Livingston Street to Tuesday night for Wednesday morning in order to be first at the window to hopefully to get some work Wednesday morning. It was a slave workforce. And and um, and this these were the type of things that were being permitted, um, so um, all of that contributed to the to a tremendous amount of outrage about how the union was conducting business. Wow! So I've been with um, MTA for two years, and I knew about you before I even filled out a, a application to join the company. And one thing that I remember about you was you shutting down the city during the strike, could you tell the people, especially like the new tier six people or the people who don't have the history, why did you strike? Well, the the conditions that I described continued. So there's generally speaking, transit workers, from the time you became a transit worker, um, um, over many years, people were, um, were, were saying almost universally that we need to shut this, shut the MTA down. We need to strike. But the immediate issues that um, provoked the strike was that in the negotiations, the MTA insisted on attempting to impose um, a tier six pension for new members. So their proposal, which they presented on the last night of the negotiations, was to require new members to contribute 6% towards the pension instead of the 2% everybody was, was contributing. So uh, before you continue, the tier six that I'm signed into was offered back when you was president. Right, they attempted to insist upon it and push it through in the 205, 20, 2005 negotiations. That was the immediate issue that triggered the, the strike. Okay. 
because we we took the position that for all sorts of reasons that 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 they that we were not going to allow them to do that at all um uh, in the first place um if we gave up the 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 new transit workers or the unborn as we call them at the time right. um there would be nobody to protect us when when new transit workers would rapidly become the majority on the property. Um, we felt we had an obligation to hand the job, hand new transit workers a job that was that didn't have inferior benefits and inferior conditions from what was handed to us. Um, and and also because um, it was very clear that they were attempting to use this to, to start tier six across New York State. And if they had done this on our watch, then we would have to have to hang our heads in shame forever as transit workers. All city and state workers would point to us and say, they, you guys allow them to get away with this. Mm -hmm. And now we all are subjected. So for all of those reasons, um, transit workers, for them, I know I came on the job. Transit workers have always been complaining about the, uh, the pension inequality. There was tier, tier one pension is a 2050 non-contributory, right? Um, and that ended in 1973. And the conversation in the crew rooms for years was those guys um, um, sold us out. Why, why do we have tier, tier three and tier four and we should get tier one as well? So there's always one of the top demands in, in about seven rounds of negotiations was always getting tier one, getting 2050. Right? So the problem it, it, that was created in 2005 was that the minute you agree to, um, to a pension give back, you, you would be closing the door forever on ever being able to, to improve pensions. Wow. You know? Huh? And I said, wow. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and that, that, that has been the trend around the country. They have been, the, the, the government and, and municipalities all from coast to coast have been complaining that pensions are unsustainable. It's too much money, this, that, and the other, and so forth. Um, and in many cities, they were able to, to do pension reverses and rollbacks and take, even take away pensions from, from people who already retired. Or you know, in terms of cut their pensions and so forth. So this has been a drumbeat for many years. Um, so the stage that we were playing on was a very big stage. Was not just a um, a, a, a small exchange. Um, so we told them that um, that this that that we they, we would not allow them to to do this, and that this was a strike issue. That we would shut the system down, and we took. We, 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 to convey our seriousness, we shut down Jamaica bus and Triborough first on the 19th of December. And they still didn't um, believe that we would do it. Um, but the executive board had already voted to begin an MTA white strike on December 20th, 2005. And the outcome was that we, we stopped tier six pension and we were able to stop it. It, it it was eventually implemented in 2012 that's seven years later and transit workers um retire and get hired at a rate of about 2,000 people per year so in seven years 14,000 people would have been subject to 
to tier six. Right now, it's um, it's it's um, eight thousand people are subject to tier six and growing every year. In five years, the majority of transit workers are going to be subject to tier six. Wow. I mean, and this this is the first reverse pension reversal in thirty five years, right? Because tier tier one ended in seventy three, tier three and tier four was up to was seventy three to seventy six, right? And since that time, people have been demanding a pension improvement. We got the pension improvement with tier five, twenty five fifty five in nineteen ninety four. So when you when you look at it, this pension um, hit in 2012 under Cuomo and Mr. Samuelson. Yes. That is the first pension <coughs> reversal in 35 years. Wow. Wow. So basically for transit workers. So basically, it seems like they. It, it seems like to me, right, that a lot of things have happened since you walked out the door in the past six years, and I can go down the line. You're talking about the tier six, tier six, like we talked about the rollback of the pension. You're talking about now new members have to, and, it, and this was given away in the last contract, which I despise to my gut. The, la the um, new members have to wait six years to get top salary on yes. top of tier six. Right. You're talking about interline bus routes. They put Arctic buses everywhere, mm -hmm. cutting runs. They have um, Opto. They're trying to expand Opto. Everything, in other words, and they've cut their apprenticeship program, yep. which is something that you worked hard for to get. Yep. So basically, those are just a few things. Everything under the sun has, has happened, it seems like, since you left office. Right. Well, the, the whole point of when we took over the union was that we wanted to re re return the union to the membership bring the union closer to the members and get the, get the members involved in the, in the life of the union. So we did a whole series of things. We sacrificed very heavily for this. For the, um, because understand how, how bad it was. The week I won elections, five of the top officers of the union crossed the street and, became, and went down to J Street and became members of management. Right, five top officers, including two vice presidents, a secretary treasurer, the assistant to the president, all of them. That's that tells you what was going on all the time, right? Um, so when we took off, when we took over, we did a number of of structural reforms to 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 make to to, to bring the the to bring the the officers closer to the and staff closer to the members and make people more accountable. So, for instance, um, we cut salaries. From uh, I cut my own salary by twenty-five percent, and we cut staff salaries by eight percent when I in the first month that I took over. Um, up until that time, union officers had unlimited paid sick time to, um, available to them from the, in the union. You had one officer one staff member who was out sick f with full pay for two years. We took the position that as long as our members had only 12 sick days, that, that is what the officers were going to get until they improved for the members, then they, could get, then they could get more for themselves. So we eliminated <coughs> unlimited paid sick time and, and made everybody 12 sick days just as all transit workers. Um, 
Transit officers also had a Cadillac health benefit plan, not the MTA health benefit plan. We eliminated the Cadillac benefit plan and put everybody into the into the MTA health benefit plan. Transit workers, officers also had a, a Cadillac pension. So for instance, we when I first in the first months I was in there, we were signing checks where people were cashing out their pensions for three quarter million dollars, eight hundred and something thousand dollars and so forth. They were entitled to lump sum lump sum pensions in addition to whatever else. We changed all of that and, and recalculated the pension so that you would be as a union officer you would get roughly what a senior transit worker would get. Right? We change all of those things in, uh, as measures to bring about greater accountability and to, and to militate against the sense of entitlement and privilege that officers had come to, to, um, to, um, to insist upon. Um, and so instead we said, you know, you have to go out or you have to work for your salary and you have to... You have to um, live, do what transit workers do. And then we started a whole series of um, programs to involve the members and multiply membership participation. So just to run it down, from January to December, we have um, Martin Luther King Day, Black History Month, Women's Day, Lobby Day, um, Hispanic Day, Irish Day, um, Family Day in June, um, um, Russian Day, Indian Day, late in the year, Veterans Day, West Indian American Day Parade, African American Day Parade, um, mass membership meeting. We started that for the very first time in decades, in 2001. So we had a whole litany of, of activities designed to to pull the members into the union and bring the and, and involve the union in the stuff that the members was interested in. So literally thousands of members were participating in these activities. Um, and if today there is any, there is a large sense of, of, um, of people interested in wanting to be leaders and union officers and so on, a lot of it stems, <coughs> in fact, from the, F, the measures that were taken um, during those years to, um, to return the union to the members. You know, um, I'm going to take it to the buses for, 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 for a hot second, right? Um, prior to you, um, from, my, you know, from my understanding in, in, in education, right, that before you got elected, um, buses basically ran the union, Map Store and, and, and TA, I believe. So uh, before you, I believe it was Willie James. He's a former, he was a former Map Store uh, bus operator. And then I know Sonny Hall was definitely a former map store bus operator. I'm Sunny Hall was local 100 president back when you first started, right, in the 80s? Yeah. Okay, so you had him and, and Demazo Seder. I don't know if he was TA Surface or, or map store, but, he, was, but he, was a, he came from buses too. But what I'm basically saying is that I know that map store people, right, they're listening to this now, and I could give a rat's ass, excuse my language, but a lot of people say that you sold that you sold that you sold them out mm -hmm. that you with the you know with the you know when you agreed to allow management to merge us merge the two TA and map store when it comes to the buses mm -hmm. so 
Um, can you please give clarity to people in Map Store who basically back then I remember wanted those extra sick they wanted extra sick days mm -hmm. and they wanted to be able to pick to other boroughs, Queens and Staten Island. But a lot of them didn't know that Queens and Staten Island was ran by a different lo lo local. So you couldn't go out there. You can only go to Brooklyn. But they found out the hard way. So what I'm saying is, um, can you give clarity as to what happened during that contract negotiation where they claim MapStore was given up or you sold them out? I mean, I know better, but I, I just need clarity. Okay. That was the 2002 <coughs> contract period. Right. Um, and what you're referring to is what is called bus consolidation. Bus consolidation, yes. So there, there are a couple issues to, to keep in mind to understand this. The MTA and the state for some time have had plans to do what they call regional bus. And by regional bus, they want to basically set up one bus system from upstate to downstate. Um, that didn't have to respect territory and borders and so on as, 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 as for money-saving purposes. And also, um, it would mean that they would pull every, try to pull everybody down to the, um, to the bus companies that had the lowest, um, the worst conditions. They can pull, you know, as a downward pull on the people. So there is that problem. From the union standpoint, I, I, as I see it then and now, the union has an interest in, in um, creating conditions for a united membership and to remove the fault lines that exist among our members, um, whether it is buses versus subways, men versus women, the nationality issues and so forth. You gotta constantly work to build unity inside of the union. So I saw bus consolidation as, um, as something that could get help get us in, that, in the second direction and stay away from regional bus. So regional bus entered the contract in 1990, the 1999 contract under Willie James and Sonny Hall. And it said that the parties will explore, would, would, would um, discuss this. But that's when it first entered the contract. Um, and I fought through the entire period I was there to prevent regional bus from, being, from being, becoming contract and being implemented. And it never was. But at the same time, I agreed then and I agree now that the consolidation of our members I mean, in, in some respects, I think that officers tend to, could tend to benefit from maintaining divisions among members, right? Um, and that's a bad thing. It's, it, goes, it runs against the notion of an injury to one is an injury to all. Um, and I'm in favor of policies that pull the membership together. And that's how I saw, region, uh, saw um, bus consolidation was working. And I think that it has worked positively in that regard. Of course, once you win a, a contract, once you p make a contract agreement, um, the, the more difficult part becomes the implement implementation. Because management attempts to bastardize any agreement and to... And to, um, and to minimize things and to turn it into its opposite and use it to create divisions among the members. 
So they have been doing that in many regards, playing title against title, playing TA against OA and so on and so forth. Um, and we should not be, get, be, be in, that, um, in that mix. But I'll tell you this, we, we negotiated a contract, we put it up for, for, um, for vote, and we negotiated a seniority system based on the members voted for a seniority system. And that seniority system was for super, what we call super seniority. Super seniority, yeah. So that your, in your division, your seniority was better than someone coming in from another division, right? Um, so we had three choices. The members voted for super seniority under bus consolidation, right? More recently, the, the, what the members voted on was thrown out the door. And instead, um, when, when they closed the 126th Street Depot, um, they, they violated all of the rules of super seniority and had people leapfrogging over others and, um, and created a lot of tension, a lot of division among the members. And that too has now contributed. And then they turn around. I'm, I'm talking about the union here now. Then the union turns around and blames it all on bus consolidation after having um, created almost, almost um, a war over 126th Street Depot in terms of how that seniority was handled, in terms of how they disregarded super seniority, the vote, how members had voted. Okay. Right, oh. right because, <coughs> because, what, because what happened, right? See, before you came in, the reason I brought up those past presidents was because they, they ran the union, and like, and like you said, they had all types of perks it was all types of things that they basically knew that they were that once they completed, um, you know, did their time as chairman and vice president, then they knew they were going straight to the international. So that's what I mean by say running a union. And then when you came along, it basically changed the way of you know new directions. Basically changed their way of life and their way of thinking. So all the time while you were in office in those depots, they constantly brainwashed members to go against you, to vote against you, to go against your policies. Oh, he sold us out, he did this, he did that. So, you know, I'm saying to myself, well, you know, and, you know, a, a bunch of grown men and women can side with this one person. Mm. And I'm saying to myself, without knowing all the facts, you know, don't just go and condemn somebody until you know all the facts and the reasons and the why this is what's going on, you know? So... Well, change. I mean, the, the, this was more about um, the old guard trying to protect the old order right. against new emerging forces, and the, and the job is changing, the population is changing, and changes the union need to change, and they're resisting that. Much like what's going on now, I think. I don't. I think that the union leadership now is out of step with the with the with the population uh, among our members. Totally agree. Totally and, agree. And, 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 and that, that clash is, go, is, is going to come about again. Old guard versus new guard. So let me ask you, like, to elaborate mm -hmm. on the strike a little more. Mm -hmm. How many days did you strike or did we strike? We were on strike for three days. Three days. Now, Two and a half days, three days. When I was promoting the show, that yeah. question came up so much. People want to know why didn't you hold out that extra day? What do you mean extra day? You mean more than three days? Or? More than, they said it, they keep saying if he would have held out an extra day, we would have got more. We don't understand the whole point of the strike because he came back too early when he had when you had them 
you came back. Right, but who's but who's saying that in terms of be, being knowledgeable about what was going on? First of all, as far as New Yorkers New Yorkers were concerned, we went on strike over one very clear issue: the MTA's demand to impose a new pension. We the our banner was we're not going to eat our unborn. Once you have taken that position, you can then keep moving the ball. Or we, we, we want this issue, but we want something else. Let's do this, that, and the other. Um, so we won the issue. We went back because we won the issue of the pension. Not only did we win the issue of the pension, but we were able to get the MTA to give us a pension refund, $131.7 million, to 22,000 people who were, who were entitled to a pension refund. So we had, we had pushed them back that far. In addition, we got the, the I mean, obviously, there was also a, a concession that we made with the 1.5%, right? But that 1.5%, um, a good half of it went to um, create a new benefit. And that new benefit was medical coverage for retirees who had no coverage. And, 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 and retirees also got um, um, drugs for prescription coverage without without having to come out of pocket. So the way that works is this: um, outside of the New York area, if you retire transit worker, most transit workers go south because you could stretch your retirement dollars more, right? Outside the New York area, where you have you have the traditional HIP and GHI coverage, there is no coverage out there for when you move out of the tri-state area. Um, and one of the reasons for that is because the, the, the rate at which transit was reimbursing providers had not been adjusted since 1985. So, so providers were refusing to take the transitory coverage. It was meaningless. So what we needed to do was to invest money into, up, into updating the reimbursement levels Having done that in the, with the strike, it meant that for the first time, those retirees has, would have coverage. And what, what we're talking about here, and, we, and we're not talking about a small number. The, the retirees of Local 100 add up to oh, about 22,000 people, and the mm. bulk of them are TAOA, right? Um, once you have 25, 55 pension, it means people retire at age 55, Medicare only kicks in at age 65. So you have a 10-year gap in which you have, your, your, you have only your union coverage to rely upon. And if there's no union coverage, then you're you're in your, trouble. You're on your own. So we, we, we got that in place out of the strike and out of the 1.5, right? So, so, so in a sense, I mean, for people who say that um, um, the only fight that they agree with or recognize the fight where you come out without scratches and without bumps and bruises are obviously people who don't know what fights are about, who have never been in a fight. <laughs> right? I mean, we were, we, were, we, took on, we were taking on Governor Pataki, oh, yeah. a Mayor Bloomberg, a Republican. Wall Street, Daily News, the New York Post, and the International. On the second day of the strike, the International issued a statement to transit workers, which management posted on all our properties, saying, we urge you to return to work. Cross the picket lines. Our own international unions had said this. So 
we needed to identify a victory, grab it, and get out of Dodge, which is exactly what we did. Armies that linger on the battlefield will get their behinds handed to them. <laughs> right? It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's important to, to know how to get into a fight as to know how to get, get out to retreat from a fight right. with a victory. Right, and you know these people, they don't have, just like Tramiel and I discovered, they have no fight and they have no knowledge and they just have no smarts, you know. And then also um, Martin Luther King's birthday, and, this is, and, and, I, and I read an extensive article on this on how I know that they, they threw that in the package to try to squelch you to come to, to, to give in, right. right? And so, but people, and so basically from the time it was, from the time that Congress Signed the signed the bill to make his birthday law to make yeah. his birthday a, a holiday a national holiday in 1983. That's 22 years from 1983 to 2005. So basically, within that time, I read an extensive article that all unions across the country were trying to get um, these corporations and, and systems to basically acknowledge his birthday. So right. that's how long it took 22 years, right. and basically. From my, from the looks of things, if we hadn't struck, it still wouldn't be. A, it still wouldn't be one of our holidays. Well, the, Martin Luther King Day was it was it was what they threw in just before we went on strike. Um, oh. Right. Um, the the we told them that we would not sign a contract without Martin Luther King Day being a holiday. Okay. Um, because behind this all behind all of the drama was also a whole matter of respect for our workforce, right? For us, for our identity and our people. So uh, when you say that, yeah. you, you identify the, the workforce as being mainly African-American. Yeah, and, and working people. I mean, because Martin Luther, King, Martin, Martin Luther King died on a strike line. He went to Memphis, Tennessee to defend sanitation workers. And yeah. he appeared on many lines of po with poor working class whites and so on and so forth as well. And he, he always said, you know, workers' rights were human rights and were, and were part of the whole civil rights struggle. Um, so, but, but, but clearly, it was a slap in the face for us as a predominantly a, a people of color to allow them to, to, to disrespect, to continue to disrespect us in this manner. So, so that was an issue out there. Um, and we told them that we were not going to eat our unborn. So the, when they threw in Martin Luther King there, the last, at the last, in the last hours, they refused. They felt that that was that, that was the most flexibility that they were prepared to give. And now we now we we were going to have to do go and eat our unborn. And we, now it's our turn. <laughs> and we told them that was not going to happen, right? Under any circumstances. I mean. It is, it is, it is terrible. I'll, you know, the, the, the existence of tier six right now for transit workers means that we have a, a workforce that will be divided for the next couple of decades at least. So right? I totally agree. Yeah. For, you know, and it, and and so it undermines unity. It undermines solidarity, right? And it's going to become a. Um, even though they, they, now they're talking about going to Albany to fix it and so on. Now, the danger is that they're going to be in the next round of negotiations. They'll be talking about increasing the age from 55 to 60 or 62, right? Or increasing the contribution. That's because the door, the, 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 
the horses are already out of the barn. <laughs> and they and they run and they and they on the straight away. Right? Um and this will happen without a shot being fired. What is shocking about this is that when we took on Pataki, Bloomberg, the Daily News, Wall Street, and all of them, it was Local 100 literally standing alone, except for the ATU locals in Staten Island and Queens. And we took on the, those powerful forces and, and, and faced them down and beat them and blocked it. This time around, Cuomo was able to impose a TS expansion across the state. All of the unions folded, including ours, right? Without a shot being fired. They had more optimum conditions to have banded together and pulled together resistance, <coughs> plant your flag and, and, and handle your business. None of that occurred. Um, and this is, so this is a historic um, setback for the, for, the, for, the, for the labor movement. Yeah, I agree. Now, to set the climate of during the time that you, that you struck, um, like you said, the the president was Republican, the governor was Republican, Bloomberg was an independent Republican, and during that time, um, I'm gonna read something. Bloomberg said he said the uh, the leadership of TWU has thuggishly turned their backs on New York City. Yeah. How did you feel? How did you feel when Bloomberg used that re the rhetoric of thuggishly? Because me personally. I don't think that he would have did that with the fire department was mostly Irish. I don't think he would have did that with NYPD was mostly Caucasian. I think that him being in the top 1% and looking at the workforce and look, these is mostly minorities, poor, whatever the case is, and use that word thuggishly. I think he used it in a racist form. But how did you feel about how, how he used it? I felt exactly the same way, and, mo and many people pointed that out, and many, there were many commentaries that made that very point, and I agreed with them. I mean, I had to restrain myself. If you look at the clip, I actually had to restrain myself. Well, we don't want you to restrain yourself. No, 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 no. You no, can no. let it go no, now. No, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, because I, I had to represent transit workers, and I have to do that in a classy manner, right? Um, so I mean restrain myself in that regard. Um, I didn't want to get foul then, you know. But um, but uh, you're correct. This was this was and 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 folks like Bloomberg don't even know when they're being racist, you know. Because that's how much and you know that's how much they that's how much they. That's the arrogance and the, the tone arrogance, deaf. Right. That's the arrogance that they have. Yeah. The same way, like uh, when um, when what's his name, you know, was running for office last time, uh. You know the guy that ran for president last time, one of the Republican. That's you know, when, when he made that forty-seven percent comment, yeah. yeah, yes, yes, Mitt, Mitt Romney. Mm -hmm. You know, he didn't know. Basically, this is how they talk behind closed doors, and this is how they talk amongst themselves. So he didn't know mm -hmm. that he was going to get caught in that video right. that way. You know, right? But of course, I mean, they they so so they they hated the fact that we shut down the city and we. Uh, we, we were example for the entire labor movement. Um, and of course, transit workers was being led by that time as a, with a black man with an accent. And that's, that doesn't sit well with them. <laughs> no, no you know. it really didn't. Um, and and for, so, so com contrast that to how they, how they, how they, um, they welcome the, the current leadership because they're agreeing to tier six and they're agreeing to this and they're agreeing to that and the other, you know. Um, 
you know so they they, they applied a, a clear double standard in how they treated different you know different um, leaderships of this union well it's amazing you know governor cuomo <clears throat> you know to, for him to be a democrat you would think he's a republican because the the things that he again the things that he implemented tier 6 and um he basically it was it was something with the metro cards um i forgot that he he, he signed a bill saying that you couldn't transfer, you couldn't put a certain, I don't know, I forgot what it was, but basically it's a lot of things that he does to where he just, you know, doesn't seem like a Democrat, a demo, you know, a, a somebody on the Democratic Party. But the point is, and, and he's not finished, keep in mind that he, he opened up with a threat of layoffs. He, if he first um, did the, I mean, he did tier six, and he did um, that zeros on imposing zeros on the CSA, the Union of State um, Employees, over 230,000 of them. Um, three zeros, was it three zeros or more? I think it was three, at least three zeros. Something like that, yeah. Right. Um, and he just, he just bullied them, right? But he had seen it work before. I mean, because... Um, it had worked in transit. In 2010, when John Samuelson took over, the, the MTA flipped on him and, and um, ordered layoffs. The first time. No, no layoffs happened up under you, correct? No, no. They, they, they threatened layoffs, and we told them that that would be a strike issue. Right? Um, and, um, and when he came in in 2010, despite everything else that was going on, they ordered layoffs for the first time in, 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 um, in many years. Um, so my point is, Cuomo saw that it worked, that in terms of how the union backed down. Because when I say backed down, I mean, if you remember, when they threatened layoffs, uh, the union responses included crazy stuff like Let's start a Delavan company. Does that ring a bell? I remember. Oh yeah. Is, what does that mean? A Delavan <laughs> company to compete with your own routes, <laughs> and then another proposal that came up from Samuelson was to um, propose that the union set up a fund of thirty-eight or thirty-nine million dollars. The transit worker would contribute towards this fund to um, to help the MTA pay its way out of its alleged deficit. We would pay to get the, the out of the deficit. That was the first union proposal. And then it was, and and then what was what Samuelson implemented was where members paid out of their pockets, you know, contributions to help the members who were laid off. Right. Now, from what I understand, I believe, you know, some people would say that it was illegally done because it was just they just basically went ahead and did it with no permission, you know. Yeah. Well, there were lots of problems with it, and um. You know, I don't know whether there's any value of look, looking at that right now because we are we pressed for time. There are a lot more important issues to really go into at this point. Um, um, you know, so well, um, our, our, our current president, Samuelson, we understand that he came up under you in some form or fashion. Could you elaborate on that? He was part of the track committee as a vice chair in the track committee while I was chairman of the track division. Um, and um, then he, when I became the president of the union, 
and Holy Rivera became vice president of maintenance of way. He became chairman of the track division. Um, and he basically operated in my shadows um, and was doing whatever he was doing in order to position himself. It's my sense of what, what, of what actually occurred. Um, and he made his move when he, uh, when he thought he had, um, when he thought things were clear. And he was successful. I, I well, eventually, eventually. I removed him from staff in 2005 because in the lead up to the strike, we couldn't get him to do any, any days of action and he was boycotting the days of action. We had to be given instructions to, um, to organize um, activities. If you remember the days, the main thing that we led up in the months before the strike, in order to get thousands of members active in practicing resistance and picketing, we organized days of action across the properties. And at its height, we had 80-something days of action on the same day. Lunchtime pickets, demonstrations, protests, wear your T-shirts, different things. Um, and we couldn't get anything out of um, out of out of Samuelson because he was boycotting stuff. Um, and the mass membership meeting that called the strike, he we we had clear information that he had actively encouraged people to not attend the meeting. And so and, and that's when I, I I fired him from staff and returned him. Do you have any idea why would he not? role with the, the movement? Because of political ambitions. He wanted to be told that he was, should be rightfully the president of the union. Mm. So what you think about the current administration right now? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I thought that's what we were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I'm extremely disappointed that all of the hard-won gains that we were established um, have been frittered away and squandered on, and, in, and things are going in the wrong direction and rapidly so. Right. For instance, I found out um, that I had put a provision in the contract that the MTA ha was obligated to maintain swing rooms for bus operators um, permanently. That was in the, we have a, re a signed agreement on that. And I found out that they were closing swing rooms without, without a complaint from the union. And in fact, there's a big swing room down on um, Livingston Street in downtown Brooklyn okay. that, was, um, that was closed. I found out about it long after. I mean, I'm, I'm retired, so yeah, I find out these things later on, right? Um, we, I put provisions in the contract for, um, for, for members to have... Um, access to pre-disciplinary suspension hearings because the MTA was suspending people, um, removing you from service on nonsense. And then you would spend a lot of time out on the street. So by the time your hearing come around, your couple plead to get back to work. So we put a provision that requires, um, that allows the union to take a suspension to an arbitrator within 48 hours for an arbitrator to make a preliminary determination as to whether there's sufficient grounds for, um, for the suspension to be maintained. That is, um, that from what I understand, that is hardly being used. Um, it was a measure put in place to put discipline, out of control disciplines in check, right? Um, and there are lots of other other issues. Uh, um, people in in RTO. Have you ever swapped out the RTOs? 
No, but I uh, I heard that we could do it. Yeah, there's a, a my understanding is almost it's so rarely done is that no one knows anyone who has done it. Yeah, right. Ardio swaps are in the contract. Yeah, um, and 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 I put specific language about RTO, um, because the conditions for operating titles are particularly difficult for operators, train or bus operators to get days off. Mm-hmm. Train crews or bus, right? Um, there were legendary stories about people having to put in 30 days in advance for a flimsy day off and then still being denied. Well, it took me, last yeah. year, it took me three months to get a, to get a Tuesday off right. and putting yeah. it in 20 days in advance. Right. And I mean, I, I, I feel that it, that's personally, it's insane. It's horrible because it's op- operating titles are the people that give up their Saturdays and Sundays for 10, 15, 20 years. So you're already sacrificing your families, right? And then you can't even use your own allotted vacation time to get a day off here, a day off there. Yeah. Um, it, is, it, is, it, is, it is unbelievable. So we put specific provisions in there to begin to counter that, that are being ignored, not being implemented, not being policed. Um, you know, I mean, this, this is just, it's just a bad situation. So in that respect... You know, I um I, I have a lot of regrets about how the how where things are with the union given the road that we have traveled to get to get these changes in place and to begin to um to reset the relationship. See, I mean, people can talk about um talk about um make promises and speak about themselves and so on and so forth. But I think that the how you have to judge union leaders is whether they can put in place the policies and and the and the and the changes needed to affect the power relationship between the bosses and our members right do you feel you have to assess whether you feel um better about yourself or safe on the job or you know respected on the job or or whether you feel abused and powerless and increasingly so and that's at the end of the day that's, that says more about what type of union you have and whether the union is being effective. Let me you ask know? you a question. Like, why, we live in a capitalistic um, mm-hmm. country, and, you know, um, I never understood why when it's time for us to get disciplined, transit go directly for our money instead of taking away AVA days or maybe vacation days. They go straight for your paycheck, which I never understood. Well, why was that allowed? Well, the, the the more fundamental thing is that in transit authority, you you lost your presumption of innocence. Instead, you have to prove, right? Instead of they having to prove that you're guilty, you have to prove that you're innocent, right? Um, so they have everything reversed. When when I when I took office, we campaigned for a number of years over what we call plantation justice in the transit authority. We <laughs> called it plantation justice because they think like a, like plantation owners. If there's a problem, take out the whip, and the whipping shall continue until the problem goes away. Right? So they can only think in terms of how to humiliate people and demoralize people and how to do business in that manner. Mm-hmm. So they were very uncomfortable with us being with us calling it plantation justice because of the connotation of racism, right? But it's, it was it was meant to convey that and the medieval type of um, approach to human relations. Mm-hmm. 
So it begins and it begins there, and then it goes into the um, to the to the to the approach to, of where you lose your presumption of innocence and you and so on. So one of the big things that we did is um, um, more than sixty percent of the disciplines in transit would then uh, still uh, due to what they call time and attendance problems. People late, people sick, people this different, so on and so forth. So one of the measures we put in place in the 2002 contract for the first time was the 70-30 provision. If you're in the 70% of people with the best, with the best sick record, you don't have to, you don't have, you, they can't come to your house. I mean, you understand the significance of that. For decades, Transit Authority had been funding a beaky workforce whose job it was to to come and knock on your door if you call off sick, mm -hmm. right? Um, transit authority workers have to, an OA, of course. Yes. You have to um, call when you leave home and call when you change locations. So they were just generating thousands of disciplines through, this, through that system and to have lawyers on salary to just bring charges and prosecute people. So... And, and funding a whole uh, an army of beakies to move around the system and spy on people. So this was a huge, we punctured that with that single measure, 70 30. Right? So again, if, if you look at the provisions that we negotiated, you can see that it was targeted at changing the power relationships between the employer and our members. Right? Um, but it requires follow-up. It requires the union to be, to be aggressive, to be active, to be bold. My own sense now, when you ask what you know, what I think of the of the leadership of the of the current situation in the union, just like the civil rights movement and leaders of yesterday need the Black Lives Matter movement today, mm -hmm. to, to to do what they no longer able, willing, or have the have the capacity to do. So too, the labor movement needs a revival against that pushes again pushes the old guard out, right? Um, and just as you same way that Occupy Wall Street changed the game for the social justice movements and the Black Lives Matter is changing the game and challenging the traditional civil rights leaders, so too we need bold leadership that challenges the current labor leaders, including inside the TW. And for all purposes, especially inside the TW, you know, it's really sad. With, with um, you know, what's going on? Do you think that all of the changes that's happened through the years comes from? I mean, for decades, transit workers have always been treated like garbage, even when it was predominantly Irish and Italian. Okay, they had their hurdles too, but at the same time, now I really feel that black and brown dominates the job and Spanish, we have it harder. It's more difficult than what they had. So do you feel that when they basically left the job, started, you know, you know, like when they basically cleared out from the job in the 90s, those tier one and tier two generation, um, do you feel that that's when the plantation justice got stricter, more and more, you know, more and more tougher the disciplines, the rules, because it's a lot of you know it's a lot of nonsense. Well, 
I don't really think you could discuss anything in America without factoring in race. Um, that's like the third rail in, <laughs> in America, right? Okay. Um, so I do think that that, um, that 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 comes up repeatedly when you look at situations and you look at the overall the big picture and so on. Um, but I think that the, 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 what was driving a lot of this was the, the, was the MTA was out to crush the union. Right? And now the union has to, then has to respond either by pushing back and standing up and fighting and pulling its members together, or it responds in the wrong way by dividing its members and playing one against the other. Unfortunately, this union did more dividing and playing one against the other in the 80s and 90s, quite frankly, um, which is why it necessitated making, um, making changes. Like this contract, 2014, right? Mm -hmm. To me, it is, it, is, it is more important whether you have negotiate provisions that pull people together and teach them to stand together. And if you're going to take a bloody nose, you take it together, right? Like our parents raised us, right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, Simple yeah. stuff, yeah, yeah. right? Then if you negotiate conditions that pit member against member and divide members, why are cleaners taking more longer towards progression towards it's bad that they have progression towards stop pay increased, but cleaners have a longer progression. A longer progression. Yeah. Well, they're peons. You know what I'm saying? Um and you had but, but, but this is a return to how the union used to operate. The four dollars an hour um working wages, the treatment of traffic checkers. Um you know, so you get that type of those type of problems that tend to that tend to create divisions among the members, um, and they're back. They, they're, they, they're turning back down that road. Yeah, because it's funny that when an uh, operating title get in trouble for something and his job is on the line, he's going straight to to cleaner, which it seems like the bottom of the barrel. Yeah. Like the like, it's yeah. the it's your last hope. Yeah, it's your last hope there, and. and um, if you ever read Willie Lynch, The Psychology of Making a Slave, mm -hmm. this, is, this is operated. This is how they operate down there. Mm -hmm. Because when I first come down there, train operator, that's your partner. I'm a conductor. That's your partner. As far as I'm concerned, my partner, I'm not supposed to tell on my partner. I'm supposed to ride or die with my partner. But yeah. as soon as something happened, I got to tell on my partner if I want to hold my job. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because... FDNY don't work like that. Sanitation don't mm -hmm. work like that. And we know for a fact NYPD don't work mm -hmm. like that. Right. It's one story and that's it. But they tell us, they use the rhetoric of partner to make us feel comfortable. But I don't feel like you my partner if I have to tell on you if something happened and my job is on the line because I didn't snitch on you, right. which I think is, is nonsense. Right. Well, I mean, they bully people to write G2s. You call it different things in different departments. Different departments, yeah. Right. To and from. To and from G2s, <laughs> yeah. whatever. Right. Um, when, when, when they're supposed to um, allow you to have union representation, union consultation before you write a G2. But they bully people. And the union allows it. The union allows them to get away with it and doesn't effectively challenge it. I, I mean, and, and sometimes the union gets stupid and tells, well, it's up to the members. 
it's not up to the members. The union's job is to lead the way. The union's job is to get in between you and the bosses, right? And then, and then they could call on you to do your end, to do your, your um, right? Your end, as long as the union is doing its job, right? So, which, which, which frequently doesn't happen. I mean, we run into a lot of problems trying to change this union. A lot of problems. Um, because we have problems among ourselves. I mean, the union officers, some of the union officers are going to be accountable and work hard, be responsible, or you're going to operate as if you're entitled. I'll give you one quick example. One of the first persons that I sent back to the road when I took over was a train operator who kept coming to the union hall in sneakers. And I said to him, um, so what happens if we have a 12-9, a man under? On the trains, I, we need we need respond to, we need to send f you know folks out to the tracks um, or to escort a crew because they terrorize these train crews when you I mean you you basically are put under escort as if you just committed murder, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, and they escort you down to the clinic and you're already traumatized because you just. But you were just part of a of somebody getting killed, and then they add to that. They're, they're brutal. They're really savage. And I made it a point that we were going to turn that around, and we were going to respond to every twelve nine. We were going to escort the train crews down there. We were not going to let them just have our people just abuse them like that. And this guy, after four or five times of him refusing to, to come to the hall, he didn't say that he had um. His shoes was in the car downstairs, or he had bad feet, you know, whatever. He insisted that he could have come to the Union Hall just in sneakers mm -hmm. because he didn't feel that he had an obligation to respond to the, his own crews, right? He was special. I told him, well, you'd be special somewhere else, not in the Union Hall here. You go, <laughs> right? right? And for those type of things, I guess that, um, that is why they would call me um, a tyrant because I would, at my point of view, is if, you, if the members are paying you, you're going to damn well do your job, right? And you're going to be accountable to them, right? And that, so, so th that's, the, that's the tension that you have to, grapple with constantly, you know, if you're going to really change a union. Um, and um, unfortunately, they, they seem to have given up that, um, given up on that fight. Now, one, one problem I have with, with the system of, of MTA is they seem to only hold the customers responsible for the fare box as far as, like, the police only police the customers as far as uh, jumping turnstiles, mm -hmm. not paying fares, mm -hmm. but all the other rules is, is irrelevant once they get into the system. And I believe in order for a, a, a society of people, period, to work right, um, the law must be obeyed on both sides. You can't just hold the transit workers responsible to hold the law up here and not hold the customers, you know, to a, a certain standard. Like uh, probably like two months ago, I had a situation. It was a, it was a packed train. Customer came and said that, this this guy was showing his private parts to a child on a train. He said, I'm about to knock him out. I said, whoa, don't do that. I don't want no situation on my train. Let me call it into RCC. First, they didn't, they didn't hear me for a long time. And then police took about 15, they held us at 34th Street, took about 15 minutes to come. Now, my worry with that is um, if we are ever in any real trouble, 
because the, the radios is bad. The communication on the radios is uh, horrible. Who do, like, who can I complain to about safety as far as for us? Because anything can happen. RCC tell you there's a fight on you. Uh, I call in and there's a fight on my train. Go investigate. I don't know what these people got. I'm not no cop. What if I get hurt? And then I get hurt. I can't communicate with you because the radios, uh, the communication on the radios is bad. And then if I don't do it, I'm being insubordinate. And if it gets hurt, they'll challenge your workers' compensation. Without a doubt. Yeah, Without, a doubt. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. So what do, we, what do we do? What do the workers do in a situation like that? Well, I, I think that, again, it begins with the union. I mean, if you, if you identify the, 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 the key problems and how train crews are treated, or bus operators are treated, or station agents are treated, right? Then you have to put in place a program and systems to get in there and change how the change change how how business is done in that area, and that's the job of the union. So whether it takes, for instance, to the extent to which they, you have equipment problems, response problems, meaning fifteen minutes, twenty minutes, which is, a, which is a totally unreasonable, Too long. and so on and so forth. Then, so it, it begins with, 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 with getting the facts straight, auditing the problem, so you can say, well, here is what the data shows, right? Here's what the data shows in respect to response, with respect to the equipment problems, the failures, and so forth, and demand that information. I put measures in place that requires the MTA to turn over the information that they didn't use to turn over before. All of this type of information is now available as part of our safety system reports, in the contract, right? So you have a basis on which to conduct audits and so on and so forth. I think it begins there, um, and then the um, then the then we, 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 because the whole point would be to take the onus away from an individual transit worker having to clash with an individual supervisor, mm -hmm. right? Because Nothing gets resolved in terms of our people don't get protected in that type of scenario. They just, we just, just pick you up, pick you out one by one, right? So you gotta, so you gotta deal with it as a, as a, as a, as a, as a systemic problem, and the, and that is what you're not seeing with you. And it begins there, and then, and then, and then, um, more, more measures could unfold once you're doing your job in that regard. I know, I, I know you can answer this question, and I know Jamel will love me for it. For asking this question, what is conduct unbecoming? <laughs> well, you have a couple categories of of violations that apply to um, apply that that management that labor relations mastered to apply to any behavior, any conduct, right? And that includes anything becomes insubordination, simple non-compliance with a rule or disagreement with supervision becomes insubordination and frequently gross insubordination. Conduct on becoming is probably the worst of them all because any violation of the rule is unbecoming, right? Is conduct unbecoming. Yeah, and it's, right? okay. So, so, so they, have, they, they, they create these meaningless catch-all phrases so that they could always, when you, when you get charged with a violation, is rule 2A, 2B, 4B, 4 <laughs> So you have a whole, so you could swear that you are, you are a mass murderer or something, right? 
but the conduct on becoming is a rule of that nature. It doesn't mean it. It's like it's like a rule for that tells you um, 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 look both ways before crossing the road. And if you don't, so if you get hit or if you get hit by a train, then you obviously must not have looked both ways unless you were looking to commit suicide. So you're always in violation of failing to look both ways because by virtue of the fact, the evidence is that you got hit, right? So they create these type of rules um, that has no practical purposes except as, a, as part of the blame game. Right. We, we, we got to make sure there's no rule to never talk to Mr. Roger Toussaint. Exactly. Oh, we're in trouble. <laughs> because, you know, <laughs> and the reason why Tremel brought up conduct unbecoming is, is, is because we talk amongst ourselves with these things. And it's like, it is a very broad term. It is a very broad terminology. I mean, I know what the dictionary uh, um, meaning of conduct unbecoming is. But when you talk about how they use it, they use it recklessly as if you just like you basically said because there are cases that people have you know just basically tell me about have come to me with just saying that um like it was a case where a transit worker a female transit worker um somebody tried to mug her somebody tried to you know beat up on the street so she calls herself defending defended you know defending herself trying to fight for herself so when the cops come and everything, you take her statement or whatever, but the authority still wants to charge you with conduct unbecoming, and now you gotta fight for your job. Right. Then it's, an, then it's another situation, I don't wanna say his name, but I was really appalled by this one, to where um, he was on the train on his day off, and some woman said that she was, that, that she was groped on the, tr- on the subway. Broke? Groped. Groped, okay. So, Cops profile undercover cops profiled him on the train and pulled him off the train and detained him and everything. Now to make a long story short, the DA files no charges because they because they have no case because the woman doesn't say well it wasn't him I don't know I don't know who this is. So now after his case comes out of abeyance, he has to fight for his job and and and, the tra- and management's trying to fire him saying that's conduct unbecoming. Right. But how is it? But how is something conduct unbecoming? Right. If if we all go out here now and get wrongfully arrested, how is it conduct unbecoming if the DA doesn't file any charges? Well, I mean, it, it, it's and it, I, and 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 nothing and nothing was done. But see, this is what I'm talking about where we say conduct unbecoming. It's too broad. They, you know, they hit a lot. They they well, seem like they hit everybody with that charge. Twenty years ago, twenty years ago, it used the charge used to be insubordination. And the logic is, here's a rule book with a hundred rules, a thousand rules. If you broke one, any one of them, then you will, you will insubordinate because you were notified that of these hundred rules. So the charge was insubordinate. Everything became a charge of insubordination, right? And then sometimes they will take it to gross insubordination and take your pass and suspend you. So it sounds as if Conduct on becoming has become the new insubordination. So they, they always need a catch-all in order to justify arbitrary discipline. Who allows that? Who allows for well, them to use that method? No, the contract doesn't allow them to do it, but labor relations, come, they come up with these things and they actually provide guidance to their field supervisors and so forth in terms of how to write these, these things up. 
right? And then it becomes um, the, the fashion. But again, it is, it's a, this is about what does the union do, right? You get in these reports from different departments. People are complaining. There is this pattern of abuse taking place. What are you doing about this pattern of abuse? Don't tell people, well, you know, you know um, small stuff. Address how you how you're dealing with this pattern of abuse in this area, right? And, and that's where the union is, is silent and is coming up short. Why didn't the union, as far as like having unison within a union altogether, because you say, you know, this title against this title, like as far as like AVA days, certain titles could bank more AVA days than, than other titles. While some of the things aren't universal, that if one, ti- if one title lose it, all titles lose it. As far as like one, because to me that'll bring unison automatically. Because you will have us, um, we ate, we ate seven or eight AVAs, eight, eight AVAs, There's eight right now. Eight and AVAs. what's that? Uh, CD is probably like twelve or something like that. Yeah, the maintainer title is like it's it's 12. twelve. They could bank up to twelve if they if their sick record is bad. They could bank up to twelve. But if they have top notch, if their sick records are top notch, they could bank up to fourteen. I'm not completely familiar with that particular provision, but what I'll tell you is that there is a there is the rule used to be six AVAs, and and you will find that rule in in the rapid transit law of the state of New York. I mean, a lot of the contract is lifted out of rapid transit law of the state of New York, and you should get that document. And so you have six AVAs. At some point, the state legislature identified a series of uniform conditions to apply to tr- the transit authority. And the AVAs come from that. So from contract to contract, different departments um, prioritized the increase in AVAs as their priority. That's how come some departments ended up moving that six to eight um, and some to more than eight. Um, in terms of the extent to which that's a priority. Um, I mean, it's interesting because in car equipment, it's easier to get a day off, right, than in the operating division. Yes. And in the operating division, it doesn't matter if you have 20 AVs, you still got to get one. (laughs) (laughs) That's what what we're saying. What's the sense? (laughs) What's what's the sense? Right? You have 20 AVs, you still got to get one. Yeah, so not a screen. Oh, oh, it's all good. Don't worry about it. Let me ask you, is MTA a corporation? No, the MTA is is um is the 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 legal term is a is um public en- entity. Um, it's a non-governmental entity. Mm-hmm. So it's strictly is it's neither fish nor fowl. Strictly speaking, is not um. The MTA board is appointed by the governor, mm-hmm. um, but the MTA is um, is is a is a is a, 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 a the term escapes me. A public authority, yeah, public it, authority. It, it, of course, it, it's, 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 it's sort a of public authority. It's yeah. like public housing. That, it's this. It falls up it's under authority the authority onto itself. Yeah, 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 yeah. Onto exactly. itself. Exactly, so it's yeah. not. It's not under the city, for instance. No, right? no I know that. Right. Yeah. The, the 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 governor appoints the board. You know, and, um, that's the only similarity that it has with a corporation. Basically, is a yeah. board is a board, yeah. and we got into this debate with with 
you know, tenured people down here and say MTA is a corporation. MTA is not a corporation. No corporation. No. Because but again, but it has that neither fish nor fowl kind of feature to it. Right. But it, it's interesting how it works for the pensions, for instance, um, in the TA. Um, TA employees belong to NICES. Right. Um, NICES pension is subject to what you call ERISA rules. Those are rules, federal rules uh, that, we, that regulate the funding levels for pensions and so forth. So long story short, NICES is required to fund the pensions at, at at least 80% of the potential liability. You follow that? But MAPSTOR, because MAPSTOR is not um, under, um, under, under, under NICES, yeah. they're not so they're not um, required, they, they're not subject to that regulation. So the problem, the big problem that we have had for many years is that they have underfunded the MAP store pension for decades. At one point, it was at as low as 40%. Oh, really? Yeah, and less than 40%. So in fact, what they had been doing for years, in my opinion, was funding the contracts by underfunding the MAP store pension. Mm. Now, people say, you know, that's no big thing because the government is not going to go bankrupt. But governments have gone bankrupt around the country, different municipalities, and then that has had impact on the pensions. Um, but that's a major issue as well. So basically, map st the map store pension, where is that money tied up in? Well, the map store fund? pension is is in a fund held by a map store, and that is um and that has investment managers and um and the union is on that investment body as well, or used to at least, and um they invested in in portfolios just like just like um the nicest um investments. Okay. Yeah, but the nicest investment is controlled by the trustees at nicest. Which is um, the the somebody representing the mayor's office, the controller's office, the public advocate's office. The five borough presidents have one fifth of a trustee position. Okay. And the and the three largest unions have trustee positions: DC thirty-seven, local one hundred, and um, um, Teamsters local two thirty-seven. Or all our full trustee positions. Oh, okay. And that that those trustees, that body controls how the controls the um the overall controls the funding and the investments and so on and so forth. Okay. Now mm -hmm. getting back to equipment and, and every and, and discipline and everything, because mm -hmm. I know that um I've I know you've seen that there's been a rash of accidents, fatalities with bus operators. And particularly in Brooklyn, it seems like, right? Mm -hmm. So my thing is um, the union has allowed them, and I don't even know if they have the, I don't know if they have the smarts or the education to notice, right? They, again, the, but the operator gets always gets blamed for everything, okay? And when you talk about the maintenance records of these buses, because I know I drove for I drove Academy bus part time for seven years, so oh. I know a little bit of those federal laws that govern um, over the road buses. But those same laws govern city buses. Nineteen A, right? Nineteen right, A. So what you know? It's amazing how when these buses get into accidents, 
nobody thinks to check the maintenance records of these buses to see what the was it was it was it pulled off the lift was it a hold because they do these things to make service and they falsify documents every day and nobody says nothing but yet the operator goes in there and gets hammered for all these accidents so i say to myself okay you know sometimes it's negligence you know like the like the one you know, you know like that one accident that happened in brooklyn but other than that when you know when it comes down to it all these years the operator always got blamed for everything and most of the times you will never know because there's no there's no policing there's no policing of the process and the union is not getting in there and and in, and inserting itself in the investigatory process right you know and and at every step along the way the union I mean, the, the union basically escorts you through a management process, right? Rather than intervenes to make sure that, you, um, that your rights are properly protected and so on and so forth. You know, so that is, a st- again, you're touching on the same, the, the same problem coming up from different angles. Right. Um, how is the union perf- performing its job? Is it, how is it intervening, right, to deal with the patterns of abuse, and the pattern, the, the continual complaints from different titles about different patterns of, of problems that, that continue where the, where the union isn't doing much. No, you know? you know, it's basically a popularity contest in these garages, and um, they get elected based on popularity. But um, when it comes down to doing research about 19A, doing research about these federal laws that govern you know, driving a bus and governs the maintain the maintenance of a bus. It's like it, it, it's not there, you know. And you know what they do is they bully the people into following. They bully the newer people into following them. You know, they come around in their suits, thinking that they're Frank Lucas and Bumpy Johnson. Yeah. And I and I say <laughs> to myself, you know, you guys are really off the hook. But you know, but like I said, there's you know, and basically they make deals. You know, when you go in there for these hearings. It's like okay, there's a certain amount of hearings. It's got, there's a certain amount of hearings. It's like okay, basically it's let's make a deal. Some people are gonna fall. Some people are gonna get off, and that's the way it's been all these years. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people have recklessly and um, shame, shamelessly lost their jobs or have taken unnecessary discipline because this is what they do instead of case by case uh, fighting fighting the case. Customer complaints, listen, how can you re-instruct somebody on a customer complaint and you have no eyes, you have no ears, you weren't there to see if this person is full of you-know-what who's making a complaint, but yet you have to take a re-instruction on your record because somebody didn't like you or you didn't say good morning to them or something. You know, I hear it all the time. I haven't been on the road in a long time, but I still hear it, you know. So this is what I mean when I say – you know, I, I just don't see how they educate the delegates. I just don't see delegates who are tough and have fight and want to and 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 can and and know the and know everything. It, because it's not just about the contract. And I told them that I said they have tunnel vision when it comes to this job and everything is everything is not in the contract. You have to go home. And you have to study these federal laws, or you have to study 19A. You have to study all these things. But 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 it's mostly about the union being on the job, meaning the union got to be in the field. Right. I mean, I'll give you some quick examples of how we tackled it early in my administration. Within the first couple of weeks of when I took over the union, 
one of the first thing I did in this area of how of disciplines and how members were treated mm-hmm. was f- I f- fired all of the arbitrators. Right? These are the arbitrators jointly selected by management and the union. There were about six or seven of them. I ordered all of them fa- dismissed. Ma- the, the management claimed at the time, labor relations, that we didn't have the power to do that. It was wrong. They were going to take us to court, this, that, and the other. We told them, do whatever you want. We, they fired. Right? And the, the reason for doing that is that I wanted to, and these were the people who were firing our people left and right. But I wanted to send a message to all of the arbitrators that um, that there was a new day in town, and that um, um, and and to watch watch themselves. Otherwise, the union will bring the fight to you. So 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 the point about point is how do you change the atmosphere? By you know the union has to send those powerful messages, right? And if the union fails to send those messages, then the problems get compounded in the field. The other thing is I require the officers to spend at least 50% of your time in the fields, in the crew rooms, in the depots, in the shops. And I told them, I'm going to, with, with my workload, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do, do, I'm going to lead in that, in that, in that, uh, with that example. I'm going to be in the field 50% of my time. And if I could be in the field 50% of my time, you better be in the field 50% of your time. Because more, a lot of problems with members go away. If the union is constantly patrolling the, ter- the, 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 the property, it's out there rather than, rather than um, hanging out in the offices and being nowhere to be found and so on and so forth, where you basically feel as if you're on your own. So my point is you've got to find the systems, find the ways to intervene in that relationship between the employer and the, and the employees, right? And, and do your job as a union. I have a question from uh, a member. He said, how you feel about leaving MTA bus behind enemy lines and accepting a BS contract only to get them the same contract two years later? What, what, what's he referring to? I guess MTA bus. Is he, is he talking to me or to Samuelson? Uh, he, he, he said the question was for you. Well, we, when we went on strike in 2005, um, one of the uh, one of the points that we that we came out of that strike agreeing on was to marry the the TAOA and the MTA bus contract expiration deadlines to the same date. Because we wanted to establish the principle that we go in, we go out, went on strike. To, we went out on strike together, and we we came back together, and we're gonna be negotiating contracts together. So that principle was established in the 2005 strike. I don't know what he's referring to. What, what recently happened here is that there's a TA, there was a TOA contract agreed to in 2014, right. and MTA bus was left out. So maybe he thinks that you're talking to the wrong president. <laughs> M, MTA bus was left out of the... There was no agreement for MTA bus. Right. They just recently got the agreement right. last year. Two years later. Right. Now, you understand? When, did I, when was the normal end date of our contract? December fifteenth. Now it ends in January. January fifteenth. That was that was a concession that we agreed to also in the strike, to change the date from December fifteenth to January fifteenth. I mean, keep in mind that there's still 
bitter cold January 15th. Right? <laughs> I mean, if you're going to shut down the system, right? Of obviously, December 15th has the advantage of being just before Christmas. Mm-hmm. Right. So it, it gives you a, some additional leverage. But that was a point that, that was something that we, we also consider was manageable. It kind of raises the point about if you feel that you have to make a concession in some area, then how do you how do you judge what concession is acceptable and what is not acceptable? Right? A concession that is acceptable is one that's manageable, that doesn't that's not a, that doesn't deal you a fatal blow. Right? Or doesn't divide your ranks and put pity people against each other. Concessions that are unacceptable is concessions that 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 um that that weaken your capacity to fight that divide your membership to, uh, against each other and so forth. But the notion that you don't make concessions in negotiations or in a fight is ridiculous. It's ridiculous, of course, because it's a game. It's the question is what type of concession they make. I mean, there's, there's acceptable concessions. And, and like, like at the time when we needed to get out of the strike and we agreed on the 1.5, I consider that to be a manageable concession because despite the... the, the, um, the um, the confusion and the misrepresentation that has been spread about. There was a 1% contribution for medical up until 1999. You remember that? Uh, no, I came on the job in 2000. So, but, uh, but I, right. I was going to ask Let me you tell about you. that. In 1994, we won the 25-55 pension under the Maso Seda. Okay. Um, as part of that agreement, since the pension age was now reduced to, f- to 55 years of age and people were now retiring earlier. The MTA insisted that they needed, a, they needed more contributions to medical in order to account for the fact that people were now retiring earlier. Long story short, that contribution was set by an arbitrator at 1% contribution. So the 1% contribution became part of the contract up until 1999, and in the 1999 contract, it was negotiated out of the contract. Now, I mention this because all of the leaders of the union now are keenly aware of this. The ones who are going around saying that there was never, this was for the first time ever, are aware that it, that it existed six years before. I am saying Samuelson is aware of it. Steve Dongs is aware of it. But Nicholas Bedell is not even a transit worker, so I don't know where he was uh, before. Right, but those guys are keenly aware that there was a one percent medical contribution up until 1999, and and they still to this day they still lie every day to transit workers and say this was brand new. Right, because a lot of uh, that's what I mean. It goes back to what I was saying in depots back then. Mm -hmm. I can remember where they say, "Oh, you sold us out. Yeah, we got to pay for medical now. We never used to have to pay for it." But you know what I used to say to myself with some of these retards, like, "Listen, you." If if you're gonna get it in retirement after you leave, that's a big thing. But it's also a misnomer to be to say that you don't pay for medical. Anyone who who familiar with contract negotiations know that the first thing the first thing that you account for in negotiations is your benefits, your pension and your health. You pay for that first. Wages are, are, are what is left after you account for your pension and your health. How that is going to be covered during the life of the contract. Wages is the rest. So the first thing you always pay for is your health and your pension. First thing, right? So, 
I mean, that's the reality. But I'll tell you something. People run their mouth and talk a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. I will come back on your show if they believe that they are the facts and they want to come here and to and present what they think that the facts they think that they have. I'll be prepared to come back. And if there are any issues that require posting documentation on, there is a Facebook site that I'm assisting with called Transit Strike. And if there's any need to post documentation to back up anything that I said here, any questions that come from your listeners, they could go to Transit Strike and I will, I will post any documentation needed on that for any question that comes up that needs the documentation. Yeah. Why do you think the MTA always tend to find money after we settle a contract? It seems like they money falls out of drawers after they settle a contract. Because they cook the books and they they always they know ahead of a time, three years ahead of a time, in this case five years now, when the contract is gonna expire. So they they have they 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 have to by by design they have to come to the table claiming broke that they're broke. Inability to pay. It's the legal term, right? So that means that if they find the money, they're going to burn it and throw it away, right? And if, and if they can't do that, then they will fudge the books and, um, and make the book of books appear as if they have zero or a negative balance when in fact they... But they play all these games. There's a bunch of dishonest people. By me being which, which, which kind of leads you to the point. The point is the job of the union. They, since management will always say they can't pay, mm. the job of the union is not to quibble with them over whether you can pay or not. The job of the union is to basically take the position. Our job is we're gonna find we're gonna help you find the will <laughs> to pay us. It don't right? seem like it seems like it's it's too much uh, buddy buddy for that to happen especially between, I think, the current administration and, and the governor. It yeah. seemed like there's no pushback. It's like, we go give you this, all right, we accept that. Well, it's worse than that, because what actually happened, <laughs> with, this, what actually happened with this contract is that um, the, the MTA and the governor was ig totally ignoring the local, local 100. But there was something going on in Long Island. Long Island Railroad Unions, which is... There is not one union, it's a whole bunch it's of unions. It's a coalition of unions. Well, there's a bunch of unions representing different titles, different trades. It's mm. not an industrial union, it's a union for every title, every trade. Right? So, so there was a federal panel under their, their system, there's a federal mediation panel that had met and had concluded that the unions had, uh, had won the argument and should get at least 17% mm -hmm. pay mm -hmm. increase. Mm -hmm. So the, the, under their system, a second panel was scheduled to hear, and then that second panel then re sends the report to Washington, and that becomes the, the, the conclusion. So. A few days before the second pa federal panel was to be convened, New Governor Cuomo and Local 100 get together. Clearly, from my point of view, on Cuomo and, and their um, initiative. And Cuomo says to Samuelson, I have a deal for you. 
you agree to 8% over five years and we have a deal because that allows Cuomo to then go before the federal mediation panel dealing with Long Island Railroad and said, here's why you should not give them 17% because local 100 just agreed to 8% mm. over five years. That's exactly what occurred. So this was like, and everyone knows it in New York and the Long Island Railroad the union leaders know it and Samuelson knows it. They used, allowed the local to be used to undermine the Long Island Railroad unions. Right? So it is worse than, than just taking what, what, what gets thrown at you. It's is allowing yourself to be used to undermine labor. Do you have any idea what the discipline numbers is at uh, Long Island Railroad and Metro North? It is way less than ours. And what you think is the reason? <laughs> um, it is way less than, well, well, Long Island Railroad is MTA, Metro North is, right? Mm -hmm. um, um, it's, there's a different culture there. And, 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 um, the, and partly because the union is div 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 divided up into different trade groups, right? They have the exercise power and they conduct business in a different way. Um, and, and in the inside of the MTA, you have a lot more people of color and, you know, and, and people who are from unskilled mm -hmm. backgrounds and titles and more easily and readily subject to being a bit of abusive behavior, abusive conduct by supervision. If you look around transit, the titles that are abused the most, even though as bad as things are in the operating titles, the titles that are abused the most are some of the entry-level titles. Traffic checkers, cleaners, station agents who are viewed as being powerless. Invariably, those titles have a higher proportion of people of color and women. Yeah, I, I believe. And, and I'll say one more thing. And in many instances, the supervisors are people of color and women. <laughs> It's amazing, you know. Yeah. But it's the psychology of making a slave. If you yeah. understand that, then you'll yeah. understand why they operate the way they, they operate. And it, it's funny, I, like, I never understood how we gross more money as, as um, MTA as far as uh, New York City Transit than Long Island Railroad. And they get, it seems like they get the cream of the crop. Like they gross, they, their company grossed them, uh, more money than us. And we carry way more people because you're talking now. The numbers are at uh, six million, six point something million riders a day on our system. Six point something million people is combined with, bu with buses. Combined with it's buses, more, it's more between seven and eight million per day. Right, right. So, so basically, you're talking about damn near the whole population in New York, New York City, the five boroughs. Yeah, ride the system on an annual basis. I mean, on a, on a daily <laughs> basis. I'm sorry, on a daily basis. Yeah. You know, and so, like I said, you know, with the MTA, see, you know, what irks me about them, right, is, see, I guess I'm the jack of all trades. I was, I worked with, uh, I was a, I was a representative for Primarica Financial Services 10 years ago. So, I, you know, so I worked in business, you know, you know, doing life insurance and things like that. So, from, from that experience, I, I got to understand a lot about how places do business and whatnot. So, the MTA, when... When you go to negotiate a contract or when any union goes to negotiate a contract with them, right, they, they act as if the money, is, they, they act as if it's their personal corporation, as if they founded it. And my thing is, that's why 
I'm glad you did what you did because m- my thing is it's not yours. You right. were just you were appointed and you were put there by the governor just to oversee it. Right. So for you to play our union local 100 like a you know like a political football, it's like you know come on, I don't like that. And then what it is is when you say you have no money, see, when it comes to and our executives at Transit should be appalled also because the executives at Metro North and Long Island Railroad, and I, and I researched this, they get paid more. You, you're talking about there's some executives that get paid damn near half a million dollars. Mm-hmm. And they don't, and again, lo, Metro North and Long Island Railroad systems is, 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 you know, the only thing they have up on us is the mileage. They do more miles than we do. But again, we do way more people and we, do, and we bring in way more revenue. So... When you talk about well, there's a that sounds like an anti-urban bias, not just it's a it's just race mixed up in there. Oh, without it's a doubt, anti-urban oh, bias. Oh, without a doubt, yeah, without you know, a without doubt. a doubt, because like I said, if you know, my thing is or you know, suburban bias. Yeah. Exactly, you know, you t- they talk about budgets, they talk about how they don't have this, they don't have money for that, but you have money for these CEO salaries and you have money for these executive salaries. Mm-hmm. And when you add it up all through the past, I guess, 25 years, you're talking about billions of dollars. What does the salary of uh, uh, the president make, Local 100? Um, Samuelson, in Samuelson, is yeah. he is actually paid by the international right now. My understanding that his salary is something like $275,000. Yeah. That's crazy. What's what's the job of the international? Well, what's the job of the international? Like what what you was it? Was you were you an international? Yeah, I was an international officer at one point. But right, but I was paid by the local up until to the end of two thousand and eight, and then after that, for after that, I was paid by the international. Wow, two, I'm still stuck on two hundred and seventy some thousand dollars. Right, right. that's Which, cr- and, but you know you should be. You should be, as far as he's concerned, you should be grateful for your one percent. You got one percent. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know. So, like I said, when it comes to the MTA, and you know, that'll always be my how I view them because, and then and and then you have another uh, problem with how they do things, as far as the service. Now, I always I talk, I talk to him about. These union delegates, they, they've talked to me about when they sit in these meetings about, man, you know, management hands them, hands them these, these, these things about budgets and stuff like that when it comes to the things that they do. But my thing is this, right? The M60 bus, right? You know, we all know that goes out to the Guadalajara Airport. Now, I drove the M60 bus back 15, 16 years ago. So back then, it was about maybe 20 runs over there, 20 pieces of work on a daily basis. So now it's double. I think it's about 39 or 40. Okay, so now they've done nothing since then but improve service on that line that goes out to the airport that the vice president of our country says looks like a third world country. I know you heard that part, Mm -hmm. okay? So when the M60 bus gets out to Queens, if you know that corridor along the Grand Central Parkway, if that bus ser- if that line serves ten thousand people on a daily ba- on on a weekly basis, I I don't know you know that's a lot for that because I know that neighborhood. So my thing is, they we all know why they've improved service on that line, 
because of where because of where it serves in Manhattan. Okay, but meanwhile, the major airport, JFK Airport, right? The B fifteen and the Q three bus. If you're familiar with the, that part, that B fifteen in Brooklyn, it goes through nothing but minority neighborhoods, and it goes up to Woodhull Hospital, and the Q three bus goes all the way down. It, it runs up Farmers Boulevard. Okay, but my thing is, these are the major airports, so the service is crappy over there, but yet you have top-notch service on the M60 bus. Then you got, um, I can go on and on, you got the M79 bus on, they ain't, they ain't nothing but um, apartment buildings with doormen over there, but you go every other block, there's a bus, mm-hmm. like the M86s. Now, there's 86s, there's nothing but shops and stuff over there on the east side. So my thing is, when they come to me and you talk about budgets, don't talk to somebody that's fucking stupid. Okay, because when your political constituents and when that money and power starts talking, that's when you come out. That's when you come out of your comfort zone with budgets. Right. Don't so don't talk to me about budgets. Right. You know what I'm saying? I agree. So this is what I mean. Mm-hmm. We say this is what they do. Same thing he tells me about how on the on the C on, on the C train, they keep the new tech trains over there on the C line. Now it's not for the people on Fulton Street in Brooklyn. It's for the people on the Upper West Side. Right. Because they like that, but yet yeah. they threw the R32s on the J line because they said that train has to breathe. Some with the air conditioner has to breathe. But I said to myself, you know what? Why they throw it on the J line? Because it goes through none but minority neighborhoods. Right. So this is what I mean when I say this is the game that you know is 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 constantly played throughout the you know even up to this day in 2016. Yeah, but we need to be teaming up with the strap hangers and the riders and creating a coalitions and alliances with them more so right. um, to confront the MT on this. I'll give you one quick example. Um, as a Brooklyn person, do you remember when they, when they had slated the Franklin Avenue shuttle to be closed down? Yes, I remember. Um, and they actually said it was a done deal. All their T's were crossed and their I's were dotted and it was going to be shut down. Mm-hmm. And a huge community coalition came up um, and fought them. Um, and as a result today, the Franklin Avenue Shuttle is one of the newer segments of track in the system. So that just shows you the possibility when you, when you, have, when you put together a broad coalition that includes um, transit workers and riders. Um, that you can actually take on the empty and challenge all of these arbitrary decision-making in terms of how they allocate funds, how they allocate equipment, and so on and so forth. There needs to be strong oversight of that stuff, but it begins with a coalition of um, riders and, and workers together. Right, because, you know, the, it's, it's the same strength that I don't know if you know about the, the new Mother Clara Hill Depot in Harlem, right? Mm-hmm. I worked out of the old one. Um, but Esplanade Gardens, that community around there, that, that uh, development, they've constantly complained about the black smoke that used to come out of the old building, right. and 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 they complained about the buses being parked there back in the days. So, um, what they did, from my understanding, what they did this time around with the new depot, they didn't even want Transit to rebuild the garage there on the site. So then after that, you know, so then they broke and they got with the community, you know, they got community leaders, got with the politicians. So they said, okay, if you're going to rebuild this depot, it's going to be 100% green, and you can only have 100, um, a certain amount of buses in there. So now you have a big old, if you've been up there, you, yeah. have a, you, you have a huge building, a huge depot, 
where the ramp going up the depot is, is like a two-way street in there. But you can only have a certain amount of buses. So it's the same rotation of buses that it was in the old depot, I think around 120 mm-hmm. approximately, which is nothing for that big old building. You know? So this is what I mean where I say that community got together, they banded together, and, they, and, and this is what they wanted. Now, personally speaking, I don't know why they did that because, listen, this is your service. And so the more buses they have there, you know you're guaranteed to have the service. So why restrict the the garage that have a certain amount of buses and you can't put no and you can't put the service in your in, in you know, the service mm-hmm. was right there for you know, for all those years. So that's what I mean where say, you know, when um that's a good example yeah. of when the community gets together, you know, and the things that they can accomplish. Sure. Let me ask you a question as far as uh like snow emergencies and things like that. When the the governor says that, or the mayor says that it's an emergency, nobody on the road, but transit is like, come to work. What makes us exempt of of that? Because we face the same dangers as the average person traveling in the street, trying to get to wherever they go. What makes us exempt from that? No, I mean it's been one of the more more blatant irrational positions that the that the MTA has taken for a number of years, requiring transit workers to show up when A there's no service to use and B the people are being instructed to stay off the roads. Mm-hmm. You know, but that is um and in- interestingly enough, arbitrators have upheld them in in many instances on this issue. Um, saying that transit workers um, were obligated to to find their way to work uh, when there is no way to find their way to work, um, but this has been a back and forth issue for a number a number of years. I'll tell you though that um, um, I have watched very with, with curiosity at the at the recent trend in the last um, the last um, five seven years or so where when there's snow or heavy snowfall predicted, they shut the system down. I mean that, be, I, I said because throughout the 70s and 80s, I, I can't recall the system being shut down when there was heavy snow. In fact, the logic is you keep the trains running or you keep the tracks clear. Um, clear, clear yeah. right? And in fact, you add service rather than sub, uh, some tra- subtract service. But they started to do that in New York and Boston and some other places. Now imagine the railroads that run through Siberia. Imagine if they were to do that. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the tracks would be buried under 10 feet of snow yeah. and ice if you were to stop the tracks from running. In fact, you know, so it just makes no sense that you would even stop trains from running during, a, during, during snow. You know, I think they started doing that after Hurricane Sandy. And after the and after the big snowstorm that we had in 2010, December of 2010, yeah. because that's when the A train was stuck out there, and there was a lawsuit against the transit authority. Yeah. I think an A train was stuck on the stuck on the on that on that yeah. thoroughfare above, the, you know, on the water. It, anyway, it it is stupid to do that. It's right. stupid to stop service because of snow. Well, right. this time they didn't really st- shut down the whole system. All the lines that was underground mm. ran. Yeah, and you know it, it was it was pretty good. I, I must admit it was good, but I just don't understand why do we have to come 
in a snow emergency because like you said, if we get hurt, they go challenge our workers' comp. And the first thing they probably say is, why well, I mean, the, the, the point about it is that you could see why, because transit, as we show, the, the lifeblood of the city, that you have to make every effort. If that's, if that's the approach, that you want to keep the trains running, then you've got to figure out ways in real terms how to deliver the workforce and the crews to the equipment. You can't just say, find your way, otherwise we'll bring you up on charges. That doesn't get equipment moving. <laughs> but that's all transit authority is interested in. Find the way, it's up to you, otherwise we'll bring you up on charges. Well, then, if it is that that is the issue, I don't care what, 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 if you have to use helicopters or whatever, <laughs> deliver the crews <laughs> to the equipment. Yeah. Find the ways to figure that out. Yeah. And, you know, and, and because if the object of the exercise is to get the equipment moving, then how does it help you to just threaten people and to bring them up on charges and the equipment still isn't moving? Exactly. And it doesn't make sense because if, if you're an agency and you're all about the demand of service, mm-hmm. but then at the same time, you're harsh on discipline, which yeah. puts a person out on the street away from being there to bring service. Right. So that's what I mean by say, like, this is something like, else we can't figure out yeah. about, the, about transit, you know? By the way, I was to ask as well, there's a provision that I had put into the contract for RTU as well that said that if, a, if in RTU, if you show up for work within two hours of your tour, meaning up to two, less than two hours late, they have to put you to work rather than send you home. Oh, yeah, I think I've seen that. Right. Uh, is that done? I didn't hear any. They, they keep us, they just tell us to keep coming. And whatever time we come, they just fill it. Fill keep us coming. In. Yeah. They keep coming. They don't send you home because you know what? No, they don't, they don't send us home. Th- that was intended to address the problem where train train operators and conductors, train crews, you know, if you show up, if you're late at all, any kind of lateness, they take you out of service and tell you to report to labor relations, right? Labor relations have to put you back to work. So you go to labor relations that day or the next day. But if it's a Friday, you might be out until Monday because labor relations is closed on the weekend. So just for simple lateness, you end up out of service, basically serving a suspension. So by the time it comes to resolve that matter, people will just accept time served in order to get back for simple 10, 15 minute lateness. And so it was a rampant problem. And we put that measure in place there to deal with that problem the two hours that you have two hours to show up for work why why is everything uh labor relations to broadway why some of the issues not handled in-house right i mean that is what we moved away from when i took over in 2001 to break the labor relations control and you know as the driving force in everything Mm. um um and we and we made some very good headway in in breaking labor relations, um, rigid control over every decision and every everything everything that was being done. Um, but it is one of the features of the of the union going backwards that you end up with that same stuff coming back again. Yeah, and and another thing, like I brought up to uh, some union reps was, what I don't don't understand is <clears throat> deadhead time. At midnight, how is it run on like an express schedule when it don't take an hour and 14 minutes to go from Astoria Boulevard to Coney Island at nighttime? Right. Because you got, you know, you got GOs going on. 
and even the train make local stops and the uh dad had time don't account for that right on on on, on a midnight schedule or a late p.m schedule because if the headway change and and you're not making the local stops the deadhead time should change also right i would like i would like to know why was that never addressed we have a bunch of those type of issues um and just in terms of how they calculate on-time service in order to, on the books, be able to claim that they're achieving a certain, certain targets and so on. So they have some arbitrary things in there, such as how they treat their, their time or how they treat um, um, on-time service. You know, their, their definition of on-time service is, uh, also includes a train that is five or seven minutes late. Do you managers get bonuses for on-time service? I don't know what's going on now these days, but um, not for on-time service, but for overall performance. Overall performance. Stuff, yeah. And would you, which s- of course on-time services are part, part of. Yeah. Would you say somebody? Do you think as a union we are in trouble? I think we're in major trouble. Um, I think that we're going backwards. Um, we have lost ground. Um, I've seen it worse. In the, in the early 80s, quite frankly. Um, but I think that we headed back in that direction. Wow. Unless, unless something is done and, and, the, and the new jacks step up and, and take and, and boldly confront both management and the union. Uh, because again, it requires, you, you don't change things unless, unless you bring that boldness into, into, into play. Right, because if you just play along with the rules of engagement that they establish, but those rules of engagement are established to maintain the maintain the status quo, to prevent change from occurring. So you know the only way to change it, the only way to to have meaningful change is to be able to is to is to boldly challenge those rules. I don't mean go out there and do stupid stuff, but you got to figure out how to how to step up the fight and do it in a bold manner. That was, that was one of the problems, by the way, with New Direction. New Directions, prior to my um, leading the, the, the charge against the MTA, New Directions had slowed, had, had been unable to take the fight to the MTA under the old leadership, right? And that, and that, that New Directions needed a more aggressive leadership in order to be able to take over the, uh, to take over, to make changes. So you believe aggression is, is, is very important? But it's, it's not just a matter of aggression. It's a, it's, a, it's, it's a matter of, it's almost like a matter of physics. For, 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 to move an object, you've got to bring equal or greater force to it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> yeah. as simple as that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I mean, if you had, um, if you just have, um, with, the, with the Polish killing of black youths, if you have the traditional, they, they only begin to take attention when once Black Lives Matter step into it and, and throw a whole different um, dynamic to yeah, it. Yeah. And then they say, oh, you know, right? But again, Black Lives Matter occupy Wall Street in the case of the social justice. All of these things signify. The, the the bringing bringing a change in the rules and bringing a greater force to bear to the problem, mm-hmm. right? And in that sense, that's the challenge that lies before transit workers right now. Oh, okay. So, um, if if you could think back to the '80s when you started, the early '80s, right? Um, how can you remember? Like, what was 
what were the hurdles that the union what, what was the hurdles that that our union had that what made um you know as far as what you're talking about where they're going back to that and the, the problems that they have with management back then what were some of the things that was going on back back during that time because i understand that um <clears throat> it was during the time where ronald reagan was president so a lot of unions had issues and that's when the decline of of, of, the, of the strength of unions was basically um you know like that was the major decline during that during the 80s you know i know with him cutting the mess with the air traffic controllers went on strike and all that stuff so what what was local 100's hurdles if you can remember well most of the problems were in the area of the how members were being mistreated and abused and the secondary the the backdrop to it was that they were trying to force changes in the contract in order to rebuild the the, the system on our backs they were bringing in new equipment rebuilding the trains rebuilding everything and they and the rule the old rules they viewed them as an obstacle and they wanted to to um to change the the rules right um that was the backdrop but um it resulted in an offensive again and in in, in terms of how, how all people were being treated or mistreated um so one of the symptoms of this was just just tyrannical supervision write-ups for everything we've discussed this many times and when you see when you when you, from what i'm hearing from you all i mean when you hear when you when you hear the, this type of sentiment being expressed again and again among transit workers that what that's telling you is that we return into a situation where we we are their mercy right and that's not a good place to be and that's not that means that the union is somehow failing in its job um but you know but i i think that we we, we are well on that road already um but there are lots that could be done i mean what you guys are doing here is a big step i think and i think it it it, it makes people start thinking what else could be done out out of the box just like you guys are doing this out of the box right yeah yes um through a different mix a different you know thing in there um and the more the more transit workers that begin to think like that is the more you all will find find each other right and figure your way out of, of out of out of the situation right in my own situation and in the situation in the in the in the early and mid 80s right like i said every generation has to put in its own work every generation got to find its way right role of people like me might be to assist with some stuff right but in terms of having the fire in your belly and having the the wherewithal to take the situation all there's no question in my mind you all can do this i really appreciate that coming yeah. from you oh yeah we appreciate that because definitely you know a lot of just like what you said a lot of members have to step outside the box because they still rely on these elected people to give them the advice and like i said a lot of these elected people they just i'm sorry they just ain't got it well you don't need you don't need validation from the union officials see that's know. that's what you i was need validation that's, from them. that's what i was telling him i, I was yeah. telling him i said look we they ain't smarter than you 
I mean, some of some people think that they that they're natural born leaders and so on. They, they, oh they, no, they, you could you can you you can handle. I mean, you know. What I, what I was telling Jamel, I said mm-hmm. we don't have to be elected to create change. Absolutely. And 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 that's very important because I firmly believe that. I mean, I lived that life before I be before I became a union ch- officer. I I basically ran a whole bunch of rank and file organizing projects in transit in in the track department and then broader than track department for more than a decade yeah because some people believe that you have to be in position in the union to make change and one of the reasons we created this radio show was to hold people accountable because it's so quiet you don't really hear much and with this radio show weekly we could hold people accountable you did this, mm-hmm. you know, and it's coming at a good time. Contract time is coming. Yeah. We got you here. We going to have lawyers here. We going to have other politicians mm-hmm. here just to show that we are connected in ways. Right. You know, and, and we could play this game, too. Absolutely. If, if y'all, if need be, you understand. Is there anybody in the current administration that you co-sign? That co-sign? You, yeah. As far as, like, um, I vouch for them. Anybody in the current administration? In, in the current administration, um, there there's a uh, Nelson Rivera, who is the vice president for Kai Equipment, is an aggressive straight shooting representative, um, and he opposed the he opposed the changes, all of the changes that I described here, and the Samuelson administration, and he has been getting nothing but grief for it and threats and his people have been brought up on charges and they ignored and he would Samuelson has hired a bunch of people from his department to run around and undermine him in his own department um but i would say nelson rivera is one of the few that's out there that's left i mean at the different depots and shops they have people that are doing their doing doing um pretty decent work at the local level um and then there are lots of new officers that I'm simply not familiar with. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the things, of course, is that you, I don't know if you're aware of it, but once you become a division chairman, you get put on union staff now and you get in over $100,000 from the union. Wow. A division, and you have 17 division chairs. So that's, that's almost $2 million wow. a year. <laughs> exactly. Right? <laughs> and the, the problem with that is that that, that then mean, that means that you now get vested in, in defending that's status quo. Yeah. Because it's putting $100,000 in your pocket. Exactly. You is know, there anything the good you could say about our current president? Anything good? <laughs> yeah, anything good. No, I think he has been, has done, he's done tremendous damage and, and, and it's, and he's not finished. <laughs> wow. There you go. So, we're about to wrap this up. I have a I have a question to ask you. You're the president today. What's your top three changes you'll make in local 100? If I was the president today. Today, what would you what would be your top three changes, and who would you bring with you? Oh, man, that is that's kind of um, I mean the players have changed. So you know, I could mention people you don't know and. And, you, and there are people available that I don't know. No, this this interview isn't about me. This interview is about the people. You. So the people who's listening probably would know. But if you had to pick your dream team to put together, 
Well, I don't approach it like that. I mean, I'll just, I, uh, that's why I explain what I did in 2001. Okay. Right? Um, we, we took, we, we, we did struct, internal structural reforms to bring the union officers closer to the members. Then we did reforms in terms of programs to bring the members closer to the union. All of the programs that I described, right? Mm-hmm. From Martin Luther King Day at the beginning of the year to the mass membership meeting at the end of the year. And mm-hmm. those were real mass membership meetings. Yeah. Like Jacob Javits. Oh, yes. Right? Uh, I've been to a couple <laughs> of those. Oh, yeah. Right? Those are real meetings. <laughs> right. That's a mass. Mass. mass membership meeting. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right? But that multiplied the participation of the members. Um, and to me, that's the heart and soul of democracy. you got to have get people involved in their own affairs. And mm-hmm. even the rallies on the street that used to yeah. be with the back during your That's administration. Huge, because Martin. we used to flood the streets back when uh, the MCA was on Madison Avenue and yeah. 47th Street. And shut down the whole of Midtown. Oh, yeah. There, so. But, so, so the, so, but the, the, the point would be um, <coughs> policies to, to, um, to create accountability. You, know, you look at a package of what are the measures needed to create accountability and to bring the union closer to the members? What are the measures needed to, um, to, bring the, to get the members involved in the activities of the union or to bring the union closer to the members in that area? All these programs. And to, to that was more my approach. And then with respect to officers and staff and people who get paid from the union, require people to do their job. One, the, the, the reason why why unions become corrupt is when they become lackadaisical and there is no accountability and everybody gets to do their own thing and do what they want and so on and so forth, which is what has tended to happen in the last few years here, right? Um, you know, if you're a union president, you're not running a popularity contest, mm-hmm. right? And if, and, if you're, if, and if you're an agent of change, meaning you want to... You want an organization that's, that, that, that works for the members. Then you have to have standards. You have to have a moral, you have to have values. Right? And you have to insist that the work be conducted consistent with certain values and standards and so forth. Otherwise, you, all is lost. So I would more operate in, in that area mm-hmm. than, to, than, to, than to give you some, some fix that really isn't there. It's yeah. a matter of how you approach these problems. Right. So, <coughs> any any final words to the listeners? Something you want to leave them with? Um, yeah, just just to reiterate my point that there is change taking place across the country in the civil rights movement, the Black Lives Matter um, movement has stepped up to take the lead um, um, in the social justice movement. The Occupy struggles um, came up in the last few years. Um, in the labor movement, the Wisconsin uprising occurred in 2011. Mm-hmm. And all of those things, all of those things um, indicate what the, what, where the future lies. And inside of TW, you need a similar kind of revival. That's what I would say. Oh, oh one more question. It's very important that we didn't bring this up. 
um the the case the 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 case with they trying to break the unions where they trying to uh make New York uh work right to work state. Mm-hmm. What is your your outlook on that? Well, not actually make it a right to work state, but what it was was the Supreme Court it's a um it's the it's the case out in California with those teachers where if they if they rule on it, then what happened? Manda- the mandatory agency shop, the unions wouldn't be able to charge employees, you know, the members, the agency shop fees. Well, that that's right to work. Well, uh, well, I mean, not necessarily. You, you right have a to choice. Work. To, you have a cho- you have a choice to pay. You have a, but I mean, but you but the un well, right to work means that you do away with the union altogether, and that's not what they're trying to what they're trying to do is, I mean, break the union, yes financially but w- what the ruling would do is again make it the way the unions wouldn't have to yeah. you know can't take the mandatorily it, take the agency shop fees it's the opening shot to undermine the unions completely down the road yeah and despite the fact despite um scalia's debt you know people think that because with his passing you can um that this matter goes away it will come right back up because it was this, this was this was a, this was a plan, and um, and it's not going to simply go away. So it's going to come back up. I mean, local 100 performed a remarkable feat, surviving with 18 months dues being revoked completely. I see that, and 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 we don't get credit for it. Right? When you think about it, there's no large organization in the United States that had to survive without dues for so long. It, it was 18 months? 18 months. Wow. So oh, the dues but, check off lasted 18 yeah. months? 18 no, months, no, yeah. no, but the, the thing about it is that the court order was for it to be revoked completely. completely. Wow. We eventually got it restored after 18 wow. months, but we, we were sentenced to death. Wow. The sentence was death. Wow. As a message to the labor movement. But our members rallied together, right? And the depots and shops and, and, and crew rooms, especially the depots and the shops, they were performing 70 to 85, 90% compliance with dues. People stood up. People understood what was going on, right? Um, but it's a remarkable feat. And many of the unions, in some conversations, um, many of the activists are now asking us, "How did we do this?" Because they were wor- they are worried that they may have to figure out how to do this if deals if they lose deals now. That's yeah. that's that that reminds me of you know back in the days when they was hanging black folks, and if you do this, we go hang you. They they yeah. show you, look, we go do this to you. Yeah. So you better act right. So that's what it's, it is. Right, this was, it was a public flogging. Yeah. That they attended. Yeah. It was a public flogging. It was and, the equivalent of a public flogging. Exactly. And exactly. So, <laughs> and so now... I'm on, on point over here. I'm paying attention. I know you're paying attention. <laughs> and so now, right, from what I understand, I don't know if anybody's told you, but um, I hear... And by some, the way, I, I, I point out also that in that public flogging, Mr. Samuelson was issuing flyers telling people when any dues you contribute will be wasted on staff. I counted um, seven or eight flyers that made that claim. Wow. That's crazy. During that time. That's crazy. Because basically what's going on now is, from what I understand, the union is in the financially is not um, 
their solvency is pretty weak and they're in the red from what I understand now. Well, all of the union monies that were used to buy into that condominium, three condominiums on 185 Montague, mm -hmm. there was no right-thinking union leader that could look at 185 Montague. Is 185 or 180? 185. 195. 195. Right. 195. And would think that that's an appropriate union hall. Right? Three disconnected condominium floors where you can't even get to the officers and where you have to be buzzed in and escorted and whatever, whatever. There is no, there is no sense that that location is, is theming with members that is alive and buzzing with membership activity. It is the furthest cry from what you would think of in terms of a, a union hall for a, a, a big union like... Um, like local like trans like yeah. local one hundred. We should have we have people working twenty four seven and it should be a buzzing with activity. That's not the I that's not what's going on down there. But all of the union's monies was put into this, put into that. Right? Um so <laughs> to my to my mind it, that's that's another one of the terrible things that they got away with. The whole idea was to establish a union hall that transit workers in 20 to 30 years could look at it and say, these guys had foresight and they knew what they were doing. But it was a home, create a home for transit workers. Yeah. Right? Not three, not three condominiums on separate floors, whatever that is supposed to be. It is not a union <laughs> hall. There is no union hall in any part of the country that resembles that. Wow. That's infamous. I, I, I have no idea how union hall is supposed to look. Or yeah. only thing I know they tell me is that union meetings only... 15, 20 people but that, again, again, that, that's look. We put provisions in the contract in the bylaws that said hold union meetings close to the locations in order to increase membership attendance at the meetings. In several departments where they have been trouble with the members, meaning the the officers are being are criticizing the union hall. They insisted to move the meetings from the locations down to the union hall, knowing that people are not going to come. But that's that by design. You know, they, they don't want people to come to participate. Yeah, I agree. Right, because yeah. they don't because they don't want to be again. They don't want they don't want you to disagree with them. And they, and they don't want to be challenged because keep in mind that you if you don't have five union meetings, you can't challenge division and section office. Well, right. progressive so action will so challenge people, you. Yeah. So <laughs> so many people. So very, very few people have five union meetings, and they like it like that. They like, that's how they like it, exactly. Yeah. They want to, again, they come around like uh, mm -hmm. Bumpy Johnson and Frank Lucas. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'd like, to, we'd like to ask you, we plan on doing a show in the future, a meeting of the mind show, where we go try to put certain intelligent people like yourself and could see the future, progressive future, and we could work something out to enlighten the, the members even more sometime near contract time about september october no I, I'll, I'll always be available you can call you can always count on me to be available um we will we'll find a way to work it out again you know so so just just and there's no contract coming up in in september october well no, no, uh, they start well, negotiating well, the contract could do, the contract could do to expire in January. <laughs> it's due to expire in January, so hopefully they'll start talking September around October, yeah. October, November. Oh, hopefully, or oh, if they even talk. <laughs> but keep, keep, keep in mind, our principle when up until I left was 
no contract, no work, a deadline is a deadline. deadline. Right? We were the only union left in the state of New York whose deadline meant anything. Right? Every other cut union, the deadline are not taken seriously and the contract expire and they keep working. Professional staff congress, the university professors, they have not a contract in close to five years. Mm. Right? So we that's why when we went on strike, we were the hearts of the public sector were they were with us because of what Bloomberg and Giuliani had put them through. Gone years without a contract, right? And no respect. So when we said that didn't happen in the transit workers. You're going to come up with a contract on time or you're going to have a problem. Mm -hmm. That was respected by the public sector workers. So, I mean, even to this day, I run, it's still running the cops and firefighters and DC to some people who say that they respect transit workers because of that. Now, that has been lost because that too was given away. Right? In the summer of 2012, and, and 2011, at least six months before the contract expired, Samuelson and they announced that there would be that the union would negotiate past the contract deadline. <laughs> so, so they it, already it, knew it, from it, the job. For six months ahead of time. Mm -hmm. So it means so there was no pressure on the MTA at all. And it's not even a matter of saying where well, we will go on strike. It's a matter of saying that you don't have to worry. There'll be no actions, no pressure, no nothing we will go past the contract deadline. Mm. So you take away all your leverage there. Right, and now right. And, and now even worse, I didn't see it written in any language or anything. I didn't see any language. But um, now I'm wondering, are, are our contracts going to be five-year contracts now? <laughs> well, I'll tell you, this five-year contract with, one per, with 8%, 1%, whatever, whatever that was, Right. Is the lowest in the the union has, was founded in 1934. Right. The union has now been around 80, 81 years, going on 82 years. That five year contract with those increases were the lowest in the 81 year history of the union. And they said that was a win. That was the lowest ever in any five year in any five year period in right. the union. And like I said, they said because when I first saw the tentative deal, I was sitting I was sitting at home. On Facebook, look at it and say, whoa, what the hell is this? You know? So, mm -hmm. like I said, I told him, this is the worst contract that I've seen right. in my time on a job. And and basically, um, you know, when you talk about these, you know, these, these, you, you tell these, you know, for a lot of these people, it was a big win yeah. because they were coming around, especially in buses, because they were like, yay, no part-time bus operators. But I'm saying to myself, yeah. listen, man, you know. Mm -hmm. But, um, like I said, you try to tell these people that, from from jump, I, I was telling people, this is not a raise. You are not going to feel extra money in your pocket with this raise. Mm -hmm. Because basically it amounted up to, you know, like for the different titles, $2 and change. So for a cleaner, you saw a $2 and nine cent raise from the, from the start of the contract. And for a conductor, I believe it's like $2 and like 30-something cent, $2.39 cent that you saw. Uh, from the start of the con so basically all across the board and all the titles it was two dollars and change but then the new employees are contributing six percent six percent exactly yeah, i'm contributing so they're making 6%. A way more they're making way and 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 one of the points to uh, to, to take very seriously is that transitory you know has a huge incentive 
to force tier three and tier four four people out. Out, yeah. And to replace them remotely. Even to buy you out. It would it's worth your while to come to you and say we'll give you, you know what? We'll give you seven grand for you to retire as soon as you hit 30, um, 25. And to replace you with a tier six guy paying 6%. What I, what I, what I told you. I, and I believe They're that... They're making huge money. We're talking tens and hundreds of millions of dollars. I right. believe that's why discipline is hard too. Yeah. To get rid of tier oh, four members. Tier four. Yeah. To yeah. get rid of tier... I said, yeah. That, I yeah. said that last week. To yeah. get rid of tier four yeah. Yeah. to replace them with tier six. Right. So they have, put, they, they have structured in incentives to undermine your own workforce. Mm-hmm. You know, and then also, seven. and then also, poor babies with the six years to get the top salary oh, on, yeah, on the yeah, wage yeah, progression yeah, scale. Yeah, yeah. That's absurd because yeah, yeah. you're talking about more than you're talking about a little bit more than a fifth of your career. Yeah. you're spent on the wage progression scale, and and right. and they promote. They don't say six years; they say five years. At your fifth year, you had ninety percent. Right, and what's the deal? You 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 do you do you do. Um, you're paying six percent towards, and you capped at fifteen thousand. Fifteen thousand above my base salary. So, so that comes out to be like, of the fifty-two weeks in the year, when you do the numbers, you get you you only overtime for twelve of those weeks. Count towards your, count towards your um, pension. Your pension. pension. That's yeah. right. And that, yeah, right. That's Instead of fifty-two, yeah, so that's like right. less than a quarter. And even further than that, the the, the people who put and that and keep in mind. You retire. Suppose you retire at fifty-five. Mm-hmm. You could. You should count on living until at least seventy. Mm-hmm. You're gonna go fifteen years with with a with a three-quarter reduction in the amount of overtime that you could have included in what your what your what your monthly pension annuity is gonna look like. Yeah. I mean, it's a huge hit. Yeah. One thing about the the establishment, that's what I like to call them, is that they are they are intelligent people and they they think ahead. So right now, they could tell me within a thousand, two thousand dollar mark how much I'm gonna be retiring. Sure. With. <laughs> no, they no, they, they crunch. They know that they crunch the numbers ahead of time. They cost everything out. When they come to the table, both sides as as are actuaries, and everything is costed out already. They knew that with the the, the two positive things in this contract was the um, the maternity leave, yeah. mm-hmm. paid maternity leave. And the and the coverage for spouses of deceased members. Mm-hmm. So there are two things about that. One is the coverage for spouses of deceased members covers people active members going forward. It doesn't cover the thousands and thousands of retirees who are already out there who who go, is going to leave um, leave spouses the uncovered. Okay. Now, that's important because when we did those measures, we covered all our retirees, right? Right. When we did the medical that's stuff, right, and then we covered all, or we did prescription, we covered all the retirees. Mm-hmm. Not just, because otherwise it becomes just an incentive for the, for the member to cover himself. Because you basically voting that your spouse, if you leave a spouse behind, will be covered. Mm-hmm. And so that's self-interest. Nothing wrong with it, but it doesn't require you to say, "What about me?" Yeah, <laughs> you know. What about my spouse? Yeah. I I retire a day before you. Yeah, but mm-hmm. I am left out. You know. Yeah. And and but the but the more fundamentally, the cost to the authority is very small, manageable cost going forward, and that benefit has to be renewed every contract. So it sunsets. That's what the term you use. Sunsets, mm-hmm. right? 
So it is a relatively small sub something for the transit authority to give up in exchange for the huge con huge money concessions that they're getting, hmm. right? In terms of the pensions and so forth, right? Massive amounts. Well, I, I would love to see what this next contract is going yeah. to entail. Yeah, I would love to see it too. I mean, so they claim that they're going to try to go after some, you know, more money, try to get a whole lot more money. Yeah, but that, that, that's supposedly the, the current president's focus this time around. Well, look, we, we overstayed our stay. It, it, it's been great. We have to do this again. Sure. So I'll be available. Like I said, um, I'll post some any 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 supporting documentation anyone wants. I'll post it on that site. Um, transit strike. Transit strike. I'll have it posted anyway. Go ahead, sister. Yeah. All right, transit strike. Well, thanks for coming out. We we All greatly right. appreciate it. We greatly. So uh, it was my pleasure. Oh yeah, definitely. This was All monumental right. for me, and I'll, I won't forget it. You know. All right. You are welcome to uh, Progressive Action Radio Show anytime. All right. Know. And like I say, if any, any if you if you get these the naysayers who are, who have some story to tell, tell matter, they can come and we can share we can share a, a plat we can share a podium together. Oh, we we would love we would love somebody to come up here and uh, yeah. want to debate with you. Okay, ask Nicholas, but I'll take Nicholas Bedell <laughs> and Steve Dunks together. I'll take them both together. Oh, Nick, 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 you listening, Nick? They, 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 of course they listen. Of course. They, they'll need each other. Yeah. Well, well, you know what? Nick Bedell, your invitation is always welcome. We oh, told you. yeah. Oh, not to mention, we just finished becoming shop stewards, so we, we asked yeah, yeah, yeah. Nicholas to come on the show. So, yeah. Nick, you, you are more than welcome to come on the show. And Steve Downs, more than welcome to come on the show. We would love it. It'll be good for the people. And, you know, thanks for coming out tonight to Progressive Action. Thanks, Mr. Roger Toussaint. It was a pleasure. DJ Damage, we all kept right. it all talking tonight. It's all good. My oh. co-host, Jamel. Oh, all yeah. Right. Thank you. No problem. No problem. Absolutely.